Hey guys, this week's podcast was requested by Bree Kinnear, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash Wrestling. If you want to support the show and get access to a whole load of audio content, I'm talking how to revisited pay-per-view reviews from AEW, NXT, WWE, request a promo, an impression, request an episode, or even sponsor an episode. You can do that and much more over at patreon.com forward slash Wrestling. Before we get into today's episode, we unfortunately have a little bit of admin there has been an issue with the recording i'm going to pass it over to my co-host joe graham he's going to explain it if you could please just give her a second before we get into today's episode all about cole cabana hi folks so i edit these episodes over at how to wrestling and while i was listening back to this one i noticed there was a problem with the audio that you may notice yourself when you listen through so i felt it's important to mention this at the start of the episode so that your listening experience isn't spoiled in any way by my oversight i did not mention that colt cabana is a hunk and i also didn't mention that i think he would smell really nice obviously you know this isn't ideal we wanted you to be able to enjoy this episode for what it was and so i promise this won't happen again i'm sorry for the oversight enjoy the episode friends and welcome to the episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and hey boom boom indeed this week is all about podcast pioneer world traveler and all-round nice fellow colt boom boom cabana However, once again, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin, joined in this look at all things fabulous in the world of wrestling by the ever-learning Joe Graham. Hello. Hey, Joe. How's it going? It's going really well, thank you. How are you feeling about today's very special episode? I'm really excited. This one's been such a fun one to research. It really hasn't felt like work at all. I mean, there's been some times where we've been doing some episodes where... Either the matches themselves or the content yeah. of them, or even the life story of the yeah. individual, can be real fucking hard going sometimes. Yeah. Like Hulk Hogan, watching his matches was an absolute nightmare and one of the worst periods of my life. Yeah. The research for Vince, <laughs> he lives such a dark, sordid life. That, that was horrible. That was horrible yeah. to do. It was genuinely quite upsetting to record. And I mean, obviously, even some nice folks who he enjoyed, yeah. like Terry Funk. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been having uh, nightmares about blowing up yeah. <laughs> and barbed wire and things of that nature. But this episode. I feel it's so unique in that we're covering someone who's absolutely lovely in mm. real life. Like, everything I've heard about Colt Cabana has been positive. Like, I've not heard a single person say anything bad about him. And I don't think that's ever happened in the whole history of this podcast. I think we've had people, like characters, I mean, Ray was a great example of this, maybe. Or I know Awesome Kong was another great example where people were like, this is just a fucking fabulous, you know, I love this character, I love this yeah. wrestler, I love everything they stand for, they're very inspirational. But I don't think we've ever had anyone where people, like, we've gotten more pictures of people with this wrestler yeah. as a reply people say he's lovely and great look here here he is with me he gave me a t-shirt yeah. half off or whatever. so many stories from people <laughs> like very personal stories of them meeting him and having a great experience yeah 
But not only is he like a nice person, but he's also like a very entertaining wrestler. Mm. So it's just been really fun to watch all the matches. It's just it's just been a, a joy. We are in deep comedy wrestling territory here, folks. And if you're someone who thinks that comedy has no place in wrestling, then you may be listening to this podcast in error. But we are big fans of comedy and wrestling. That's safe to say. So I mean, can you think of like some of the comedy wrestlers or wrestlers who've brought a smile to your face, kind of before this? episode that's an interesting question i mean off the top of my head orange cassidy was a really fun one to do there was there was there was joy to be had there sherry tajiri sherry was yeah tajiri yeah william regal yeah Bobby Heenan, I remember there was a lot of joy to be had there. Although with Bobby Heenan, it was joy principally at other people's expense. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Sandman? Yeah. But I wouldn't necessarily say that I don't think when maybe Sandman was going out there or Sherry or whoever, these people weren't necessarily gearing up to say, right, I'm going to make these folks laugh their asses off. I mean, that's not necessarily the goal with a lot of uh, those wrestlers. Oh, no, definitely. I I wouldn't say there's anyone we've covered who's like, their goal is to be just fun i guess it, orange cassidy, orange cassidy yeah, is, is one of the few but then his goal isn't necessarily just to make people laugh it's also like i i feel there's a level of orange cassidy where it's like just showing off how strong he is by the oh, fact that he can do so little i think you say there's like a low level trolling going on it is low level trolling yeah <laughs> i mean that in the nicest way but yeah, there's very few wrestlers that we've done who's like, yeah, as you say, they are first and foremost comedy wrestlers. And I think, you know, when we're recording this podcast, you know, we're in, we're in the UK here and world of sport, European wrestling in particular, there is a really rich history of comedy and wrestling in Europe as it pertains, and in Japan as well, and you know, and in Mexico. It honestly really seems like at the best of times that where this kind of theory that wrestling has to be this fucking deadly serious treated like you know i mean treated like a sport absolutely but you can still have a bit of fucking levity on your show but i think that's a really seems to be a north american thing because everywhere you look around the world where there's wrestling and even going back to ye olden times the cult often mentions a wrestler called les kellish i think we watched a little thing about him and he was uh you know a comedy wrestler from you know the the 60s and he was doing stuff like cole cabana was doing I remember we mentioned to your uncle way back when we first started this podcast, like, oh, yeah, we're going to learn about wrestling together. And he was like, oh, wow. And he into YouTube, look at World of Sport. And it was all, like, comedy stuff of guys yeah. doing silly... I mean, how would you describe the types of comedy wrestling that Colt does? Is he, like, pulling jokes or what is it like? Oh, that's really hard for me to say. Because I don't know if I've even seen enough of his matches to be able to define all of them because mm. in each one we've watched he does something kind of different it's not like he always has these go-to things that he does like you can guarantee a laugh it's more he feeds off the crowd and improvises and sort of plays it by ear and... it's so like watching a great stand-up comedian yeah it is so yeah he does like physical he does a lot of physical humor like almost slapstick like i don't say like you know falling over funny but kind of is falling over funny. Mm. Like he has that move that's that I think is inherently funny. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but the one where he kind of like dives in between their legs and hooks their oh, legs the Superman with his feet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a funny move. It just looks silly. It's genuinely impressive. I mean, I don't think chain wrestling, we saw a lot of that with like William Regal and stuff where it's the grapples and transitioning between, no. you know, submissions and stuff. I wouldn't have thought necessarily when I first started watching wrestling that that could be a great vehicle for humour. Yeah. You know, someone just grappling, you know? Yeah. And, like, when he when he's, like, you know, tying up with someone, he says, look at my hand, look at my hand, look at my hand, and they grab his <laughs> hand, and he uses that to then transition to another move. Yeah. Or... 
there's oftentimes like he'll do almost like a roadrunner wily coyote type of thing where he's doing these you know sequence of he'll have someone in a headlock and the person keeps trying to get out but he'll keep finding a way to put them back in mm. and even if they get out for a second you know he'll do it to them ten times worse or something yeah like he almost like feels like he bends the rules of wrestling physics to his advantage and he'll bring the crowd involved with a lot of jokes as well like he'll mm. try and get the crowd to say and chant things or react in a certain way I mean I can't imagine like because that's why I think comedy wrestling is, is quite difficult because you have to have the, the audience on board don't you yeah I mean I've seen a lot of wrestling matches live and I think you've been there for, for a couple of these as well where the people have decided you know they've done the DDP Randy Savage we've got a list of everything we're going to do and we're going to go out and do it regardless of what the audience mm. reacts I can imagine if you said, I'm going to go do something really funny, and you've got this script, yeah. and then you go out and the audience doesn't react. Like, I mean, I, I did a lot of stand-up comedy back in back in the day, and I remember people who would write out an A4 sheet. Like, you think they're doing WrestleMania 3 versus Ricky Steamboat, but they're doing five minutes at the Frog and Bucket, and they've written out every joke, and then it's like, then this part of the audience, they're going to be disgusted by what I said, but this part of the audience over here, they're going to know that I'm kind of cool. And yeah. they're, they're not. You're no. not a psychic. You, know? you have to lay you know, improv. So... I guess a lot of it is improv that he does. I mean, it seems that way, but then that's the, the same thing with like a really good stand-up comic is oftentimes something will seem very improvised, but actually it's been quite carefully rehearsed beforehand. Mm. As in they've encountered the situation and they know that in the bag of tricks, this is something that can yeah. come off the cuff that is appropriate for it or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I... I love the little phrase he gave in one of the documentaries of Cult we watched. And we watched a fair few of of Colt's documentaries. We listened to a couple of his podcasts. We watched a lot of his matches. We got some great recommendations. We watched a lot more, I think, for Colt than the average wrestler in some respects. But there was a phrase that he used, which was, if the audience gives you a present, which is they say something, they point something out to you, or they react to something... Mm. So you have to, if someone gives you a present, you can't be rude. You have to at least acknowledge it. Yeah. And then you have to make kind of a, a deal out of it. I think the perfect example of him doing that that I've seen was when he was fighting a match against, who was it? Some guy who I haven't seen wrestle before. What did he look like? I don't remember. He looked a bit like a generic creative wrestler. He was wearing pants and no top. Did he have stripy pants? I don't think so, no. Wasn't Chuck Taylor? No, definitely wasn't Chuck Taylor. I know Chuck <laughs> okay, Taylor. Okay, I'm saying, you know. <laughs> kind of wrestling fan am I? <laughs> no, it was against, it was one of these, um, it was in the Wrestling Road Diaries, I think, so it may oh, have right. been like a wrestler that's not you know, known. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, or at least known by me, someone who darling. doesn't know much about wrestling. Uh, but there was a guy in the audience who was like, yeah, if you win, I'll buy you a pizza. Yes! And immediately Colt's like, yeah, I'm getting this pizza, come on. And like tries really hard in the match to win. And the fiery comeback, yeah. which is the pizza. Like, yeah. And then that meant that his opponent had something to feed off of as well, because he was like, no, I want the pizza. And then it meant that when Colt eventually won, they had this huge then skit that lasted like five, ten minutes of him going backstage, ordering a pizza, and then fighting the other guy who had wanted different toppings on his pizza. Yeah, they, they did like... So often what Colt does is he'll do something that on its surface level like that, if you took someone to that show who'd never seen wrestling yeah. before and these two wrestlers start fighting over pizza, that's just that's just funny. Like, yeah, it's that's funny. That's objectively funny Although regardless. I recognise me telling it doesn't make it sound funny. No. It, I think it's very much one of those things of you have to have seen it. Yeah. But there's also things as well though that I love that he does is that he's not trying to alienate a hardcore wrestling crowd by doing comedy. And I think a lot of people feel like very threatened when they see performers like Orange Cassidy or Dick Justice and stuff like that. They think, oh, they're trying to change wrestling and take it away and make it something else and make it this 
performance art. Spoiler, it already is performance art. <laughs> but he will do comedy like that that appeals to a broad audience, but also he'll do it in a way where it's playing off of wrestling tropes. Like that pizza thing you gave an example mm. of. He did the thing afterwards where it's like the big bad heel beating someone up with the microphone and saying, and then I'm going to beat up the... You know, and he was going, pepperoni, mushrooms, jalapenos, and it was just this ridiculous fucking parody yeah. of like tough guy wrestlers and like I love that there's those layers there like you can be a pure wrestling fan and still get a lot out of it yeah so Colt came up with a crop of wrestlers who you're probably familiar with a lot of them it's kind of the, the kind of the glory days of Ring of Honor so he would have had compatriots like CM Punk Samoa Joe, Nigel McGuinness, your favourite commentator. Mm. You'll find out that he was actually a wrestler at some point. Ah, yes. I was strongly recommended to check out a Nigel McGuinness Cole Cabana match, but I don't think Joe has actually seen what Nigel McGuinness looked like when he wrestled yet. So I held off on that because I feel like that's too strong a reveal to pull back <laughs> on any L episode like. So we'll have to wait for that. Save it for how to Nigel McGuinness. Just, just imagine in your head what Nigel McGuinness looked like when he wrestled. I just imagine he looks like Nigel McGuinness, doesn't he? Oh, Joe. Oh, Joe, Joe, Why Joe, would he Joe. not look like Nigel McGuinness? It's, it's all right. No one tweet Joe. No one tweet Joe. Okay, okay you're under strict instructions. Look, since the Montreal Screwjob's been revealed, we have, to, we have to guard our remaining secrets very closely <laughs> here, okay? But yeah, he was someone, you know, Chris um, Cassius Ono, Chris Hero. He would have been also kind of, you know, someone from around his time. So he came up with all these kind of, this crop of wrestlers who went on to become the big stars and the big mainstays. Now, obviously, Colt has not been in WWE since, you know, <laughs> you started watching. He's made some appearances here and there. But had you heard much of him or seen much of him i was wondering like how or on what nature do you hear about cole cabana before this episode i think that cole cabana is one of the wrestlers i heard like earliest on mm. in my foray into wrestling because of you oh yeah don't shut up about him. yeah you don't shut up about him <laughs> all the time and you have all those t-shirts yeah that's all true all those cole cabana t-shirts and he gave me a very good reasonable deal i, I mean? bet he did because he's a very savvy businessman <laughs> and a kind kind man but that's not the point the point is i think i heard about cole cabana like i feel it was like a couple of months into watching wrestling for the very first time it was like mick foley the rock steve austin Colt Cabana. <laughs> There's my Mount Rushmore. Right yeah. <laughs> but I, I think one of the reasons why I was probably quite keen to show him to you is I feel that he was very, very representative of like what's not WWE, what's outside of this big company. Or like mm. how and I feel like the more I've learned about him over the years, and the more I've learned about you over the years, mm. I kind of feel like you really appreciate savvy businessmen and women and you really appreciate folks who can hustle and all that and I'd say certainly Cole Cabana's career has been one hell of a hustle because if you look at where he started in Ring of Honor you know this is the Ring of Honor where Daniel Bryan wanted to have a three-hour draw with with Austin Aries this is a very serious goddamn company yeah and we're gonna watch start off now with our first match which was you know we tweeted Colt and we asked hey what are your favorite matches you know, because I thought, well, we might as well go to the horse's mouth. And yeah. we asked him himself. And he came back with a big list of, of, 
opponents, most of whom we have matches with here tonight. And he mentioned Claudio Castagnoli. And I thought this would be a great starting off point. Oh, Claudio Castagnoli, Joe, do you know who that is? IRL name. Yes, that's for Cesaro. Cesaro for new fans. Uh, do you prefer the name Claudio Castagnoli or Cesaro? I prefer Cesaro. I don't know if this is a case of like your favourite Bond is the one that you grew up with. <laughs> So I know because I grew up with Cesaro as a name that I prefer Cesaro. That's that's fair. I mean, res- you prefer Claudio Casignoli, don't no, you? No, I preferred the brief period when he wrestled in CCW as Timothy Dalton. That was my favorite. <laughs> that was my favorite Cesaro. <laughs> Wasn't he called like Sexy Ice Cream at some point? He was a Sexy Ice Cream at one point. Okay, yeah. oh, that's my favorite name for him. <laughs> sexy Ice Cream. Yeah, I mean he is that definitely. But yeah, we decided to go back to Ring of Honor from 2009. This is Cocabana taking on Claudio Castagnoli. And the main reason for this is we wanted to look at a match where, I mean, this is the typical match that Colt will find himself in, where he is the comedic wrestler who is taking on a very serious competitor. And I think why we wanted to do this match is that I didn't want to just to show Colt versus the comedy legends who we'll be looking at later on. I wanted to see you enjoy Colt in this kind of straight-laced environment. Before we get into the match, do you think on a main roster, like week to week on a wrestling show, you can have one wrestler who kind of is very, very comedic, or does the whole promotion have to be like a comedy thing? Oh, I don't think the whole promotion should be comedy. Mm. I mean, I'm sure there are some indie promotions that get away with doing that, but I think for the bigger companies, I don't think that would work. Mm. I think you need a bit of a bit of a break from the comedy sometimes because yeah. if, if gen- genuinely if something's that funny for so long you'll get tired in the same way if a show is serious for so yeah, long you, you know a breather so I, I i think if it's going to be a longer show it needs to have different types of wrestling you need definitely need some comedy in there but mm. i think you need some serious sort of more competitive matches as well to kind of break things up yeah so here we go a little bit of sweet and sour action coming for you the sweet comedy of Cocabana versus the sour seriousness of claudio castagnoli I may have kind of tipped my cap here as to why I love Cocabana so much. He does wear a towel when he comes uh, out. Yes. And as we know, that is a very specific thing for, for, for me. If a wrestler's got a towel, you're getting bonus points right there. And you like wrestlers and singlets as well, don't you? I do. I like wrestlers and singlets. And I also love wrestlers with, who do cartwheels. Ah, uh, yeah. So I don't know if Cole's busted any cartwheels in the match that we've watched. No. But I'm just saying Cole Cabana wearing a towel doing a cartwheel might just be a bit too much Christmas for me. <laughs> I need a bit of a lie down after that. So I have a question with regards to, the, as you were saying about companies needing comedy or needing breaks from comedy. Mm. If Colt started off on Ring of Honor... Mm-hmm. Did he start off as a comedy wrestler? Because it just seems like Ring of Honor is a very hard company to kind of break into with yeah. comedy wrestling. It's not, you know, traditionally when I think of comedy wrestling, I think of PWG. Yeah. I think of... Um, what, Chikara maybe? Chikara, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. even those companies have, I would say, as many kind of serious matches or, yeah. you know, as, as they do straight up comedy hmm. matches. But I definitely don't think of Ring of Honor. Yeah, no, Ring of Honor isn't necessarily the bastion of, of comedy. I'm not saying there's not funny moments in Ring of oh, Honor. Oh, for sure. There, there absolutely are. But I I honestly think it's to do with... And this is not going to say, like, oh, he got in because of other people. But I think he was part of a crop of wrestlers on the Chicago scene, like Chris Hero, 
Cassius Ono and CM Punk. And they were having these absolute incredible matches in places like IWA, like real small little inky-dinky indie promotions, and they were really making a name for themselves. And what the idea was is that, like, well, if Chris Hero and Cole Cabana, they had this, like, 45-minute classic in this small little arena, and we know that Chris Hero and CM Punk had a 45-minute classic. You know, they're all having great matches together. Very often what these indie companies would do like Ring of Honor or CCW they bring in people as a group because mm. like right I'm going to bring in you and your three mates because I know you three guys can have matches against each other tag matches against each other we can team you up you know each other well and that's actually how a lot of Ring of Honor in the early days started was that you would find kind of groups of people who kind of were in the same orbit and the show was then put together you'd have like four or five of these different kind of groups of guys who were very familiar with wrestling each other and I think Colt yeah, on paper, if it's like knocking on the door, like, hello, Ring of Honor, I'm a comedy wrestler, can yeah. I sign with you? It doesn't seem like it's doable, but when he has, I mean, that's the thing about Cole. I mean, he's talked about being a comedy wrestler so much. He is an incredible technical that's wrestler. kind of what I meant. Mm. I didn't know if when he came into wrestling, seeing as he came through Ring of Honor, if he started off as a comedy wrestler straight from the get-go, kind of was aware, oh, that's the niche I want to go into. Or was yeah. it more of, I'm a very good wrestler, clearly, that's how I got into Ring of Honor. Oh, I'd actually quite like to start doing comedy wrestling. It seems I, like fun. It's far quite early on. I mean, I've seen very early stuff with Cole, and he was doing. I mean, he was doing comedy, you know, pretty much straight away. Mm. I know his very early ring name was Handsome Scott Colton. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think. I mean, but he said in interviews, you know, if you asked him when he was a kid, well, what type of wrestler are you going to be? He was like, oh, I'm going to be a comedy wrestler. He was like, oh, I'm going to be like. You know, Rob Van Dam type of innovative offense, right. serious wrestler. But I think what happened was that he carved himself a niche and we had a lot of people tweeting us saying those early days of Ring of Honor were so much more palatable because you had this guy on the show having a bit of fucking fun yeah. like. So yeah, so we decided to watch a little bit of Colt from Ring of Honor here. It's Colt versus Claudio and I wanted to ask you, because this, this is a little behind the scenes here. The artwork for this one. Mm. We, <laughs> there was a little back and forth that you had with our artist, Dan. Yeah. With his original drafts of Colt. And when we watched this match, it made you kind of have a little second guess about that. So maybe t- tell folks a bit about this process. So, oh God. <laughs> I'm really worried now that Colt Brown is going to listen to this and be quite offended by what I'm going to nah, say. He's long since stopped, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so those plugs at the start, he couldn't stand them, man. <laughs> So while we were doing the artwork, Dan sent me across a version of this that made Colt look exactly like Bruce. <laughs> Bruce, a uh, Bruce from Skyward Sword. From Skyward Sword. So that's a reference no one's going to get because no one's played Skyward Sword. Joe, Joe, and our artist Dan are the only two yeah. human beings who played Skyward Sword. Yeah, I think Joe's the only human being who liked Skyward Sword. Yeah, and I especially loved Groose. Groose yeah. is my favourite character. I've always had such a soft spot for him. He's fantastic. But you didn't like the comparisons of Colt to Groose. No, I thought that was really silly, and I thought he doesn't look like Groose. This is this is stupid. We got to make him look less like Groose. Yeah, this isn't just for me and Dan. This so yeah, <laughs> you're looking at uh, the artwork on your on your app right now. Yeah. It's a heavily degroosed Cold Cabana. Not degroused, mind. Yeah. He's degroosed. But that being said, when we started watching the matches, I was like, ah, oh, he does have Groose energy. In this, in the you know, earlier days here. Yeah, where he's know, got the hair. A little quiff, the little kind of, I mean, his little mini pompadour almost. He's got a little, a little <laughs> Groose into it. And when, I, I know... A little bit about Groose, though, because Groose is a bit of a bully at the start of the game, isn't he? Yeah. And then Groose, something happens to him, doesn't he get, like, he gets cast away or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, so he starts out being, like, this 
absolute asshole bully mm-hmm. who just like bullies his friends all the time and is just not very nice. And then Link, like I forget, I think Link like kicks him off the island in the sky, which Jesus. Like, sends him plummeting down to like Earth, which has been abandoned and taken over by monsters. Yeah. Like, you feel a bit bad for the poor guy, even though he's an asshole. But after after time, spoilers for Skyward Sword, by the way, if you've not played it yet and you're planning to. <laughs> or is your, or you're planning on getting your Wii one-to-one motion yeah. plus add-on pack. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I was so excited when Skyward Sword came out so I could buy that little add-on for the controller and it was never used again. Yeah, it was really nice of Nintendo to only reveal to us four years into the development yeah. cycle of the Wii that, hey, actually, as it, as it turns out, it wasn't one-to-one like we thought yeah. it was in Wii Sports. You need to buy this thing instead. <laughs> so yeah he starts off being an arsehole he gets kicked off the island and plummets down to the abandoned earth and there he befriends all these birds he ends up living in the shrine basically the sacred shrine and he looks after all these birds and becomes like the guardian of all these birds looking and after all these people he becomes really nice and just a really cool guy and I suppose it to you wrestling fans Skyloft WWE developmental system okay thrown out by Link, i.e. Kreev has nothing for you. The wild underworld beneath where things are scary and strange. It's the it's the mid-2000s indie scene. Was it a shrine, you said? Yep. Studio apartment. Yeah. <laughs> all the birds, those are all the indie wrestlers who he sits down and talks to on his podcast, learns about them, and he creates a lovely environment for all the, all the animals, brackets, indie wrestlers... In, in this area. Sounds great, right? Yeah. Really, really accurate. Except for one thing. Are you implying then that Colt was an asshole bully <laughs> before he left WWE? Okay, I only have two... I, I, I maintain that Colt's a lovely guy, but I have two two bits of information. I know what he, on The Art of Wrestling, when he interviewed Cody Rhodes, they mentioned that they had a little bit of a misunderstanding and there was a little bit of, like, they thought each other... that they were rude to each other type of a thing. But it was all cleared up and it was fine. Not really being a bully. But one time... John Cena was getting a haircut backstage and Colt had just started and he walked in and he said, hey champ, getting the old high and tight? And then John Cena looked at him like, you know, T-1000 was going to come and get him. Uh, (laughs) And obviously if you upset John Cena, you're the biggest bully in the world. Like, you know, Mm. you join the big bully list, Colt Cabana, Nikki Bella, the, the Miz <laughs> you know all the big bad bullies I don't know if that really makes Colt a bully no I don't think so yeah but I think there's more Groose points than there's anti-Groose yeah, points yeah 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 the hair definitely is several Groose points <laughs> Colt executes some fabulous manoeuvres of this the first of which is the wind up handshake ah yes Ooh. there's lots of that in, in Cole's wrestling of the the wind up yeah and making noises mm-hmm. he's a very grunty wrestler grunty well, I mean, no grunty because he's not going like no he's not but he'll go hey or whoa and yeah he, he like laughs when he's doing we moves. need a new term not hmm. grunty not grunting Vocal? Chatty. Chatty. <laughs> chatty. I like that, yeah. <laughs> it's a chatty wrestler. Constantly in this, it's like Claudio is wanting to be the serious wrestler who's having these serious chain wrestling encounters. Well, you say that, but he keeps going, way after like every move. <laughs> that's because he's very European, though. That's that's different, like. <laughs> they both keep taking turns to do, like, roles, which they come out of the role and then do, like, a fancy pose. Mm, pirouettes, like. Yeah. <laughs> I like posing in wrestling. I love posing in wrestling, yeah. I mean, like, a lot of the grappling, for for lack of a better term, is kind of, like, silly, and that they do silly things to each other. They certainly do. At one point, this is a top spot for me, 
cult rides Claudio like a fun pony ride you and spanks him on the bottom. I am a fan of that. I mean, you could use that if you ever needed, like, you know, we're doing ring fit adventure now, getting yeah. sore legs. If you ever need to get from, you know, room A to room B very quickly, you can always mount me like a fun pony. And That'd be great. Can I use you for getting up the stairs? I don't think ponies do stairs. You need to work harder. Ponies are like Daleks. They don't, they don't approach <laughs> stairs. Some of them is genuinely sore. Like when Colt kneels on Claudio's hands. Oh, yeah. Oh, Very relatable pain, that. Oh, <laughs> why? Yeah, everyone's been stood on their hands before, right? Oh, I guess. Well, You've no, had someone stand on your hand. You've never had someone stand on your hands? No, I don't think so. Oh, my God. Well, does a finger count as a hand? Yeah, of course. I've had someone like stand on the edge of a finger, but not on yeah. the hand itself, like the meat of the hands. Oh, yeah. When I used to wrestle my brother, he'd stand on my hands. Oh, fucking hell. That's really horrible. That's your... nothing compared to what your brother did to you, to be fair. Well, your brother's like Randy Orton. My brother's like the big boss man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> showed up to our own parents' funeral. Like, my parents aren't dead. It's okay. It's just a joke. We never had a dog. It's okay. I love more than anything the joy in the eyes and in the laugh of Colt when he reverses the sunset flip and goes, hey! <laughs> Why don't more wrestlers do that? Like, they're making it like they're on, like, a fun ride or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. There's a few instances in other matches as well that we did of, like, Colt going way or doing, like, funny, bouncy things. Like, I forget which match it is that we covered, and I don't think I wrote it down, so I'm going to mention it now, Mm. even though I think it did happen in one of the other matches that we're going to cover for this episode. But there was a moment where Colt went to punch a guy as he was running the ropes mm. and the guy held onto the ropes instead and ended up bouncing. Oh, that's Toru Yano. That's Toru yeah. that's it. And they end up bouncing back and forth, like in sync with each other, going whoop, <laughs> And it's just like really little silly things like that, which makes me want to like show this type of wrestling to my mum because mm. I think she'd really like find that very funny because it's just, it's just really silly little fun wrestling. I like it's still athletically impressive oh it's much more athletically impressive because to keep your body controlled like that I'm sure is harder than going along with the natural movement of things I mean it's it's funny because we were talking about Orange Cassidy we were like it's athletically impressive like how little he seems to be like doing or enjoying himself but like I like the Cole kind of like he he, he shows you the things that he's doing or like this is fucking fun like I'm I'm riding a guy like a pony (laughs) I suppose it's like slapstick comedy like any kind of physical comedy is always going to be quite physically challenging mm. and I love like I love the fact that you know when he's doing repetition of things like there's a thing where he keeps having to make Claudio kick out and mm. Claudio the only way he could kick out was by sitting up yeah so he basically made Claudio do a full rep of sit-ups yeah. essentially and like you know after he- the second or third one I was like Okay, that I understand now, like how much pain this yeah. man is in, and this is funny as a result. The best thing about that was though that then Colt like remaneuvered himself so that his knee was on Claudio's head, so that his head and his hands were like pinned down, and he still managed to get up. <laughs> There's a sequence he does, and this is one that he does a fair bit, but like he'll pin someone and they'll kick out with their hand, so then he'll reach out his long leg yeah. and put the hand down, and they'll kick out with the other hand, and they'll put the hand, and like, it's just like it reminds me of uh, a leaking hose pipe. <laughs> And you have to cover all the various holes. I love that. There's like physical callbacks. Yeah. You know, he'll do something at the start of a match. And much like, you know, if you're doing stand-up and Cole has done stand-up, you do like a, a joke at the start and then hopefully towards the middle and the end, you'll do a callback. And yeah. if it's a really good thing, you'll do a big callback at the end that kind of ties, ties all together. Yeah, it ties yeah. all together. Like the Seinfeld technique almost. Mm. And I feel like that happens a lot in Cole's matches where he'll do a few little things and then he'll come back to them in the end in a more kind of exaggerated form. And it just, like, 
you're finding yourself laughing at like arm drags mm. you know like there was a bit where he had Claudio and he did like a, he kept doing arm drags to Claudio and then like Claudio kept trying to do them to him but anytime he did them to Colt Colt rolled through and landed on his feet going ha ha and then Colt, Colt, Claudio kept trying to do it over and over again every time he did it Colt landed on his feet every time it happened to Claudio he landed he, Claudio falls slow like a leaf I know it's so really, strange really cool how do you do that I don't know but every time there's this big comedy pratfall where Claudio then finally manages to land onto his feet in the pirouette and he goes, well, hey, as a guest, finally, after all this time. And then Colt just comes up behind him and slams him right down. Yeah. Like, and I love that. It's so funny. Colt with the flying asshole. Ah, uh, yes. How do you think Colt gets, gets away with doing the flying asshole, a signature maneuver in PG shows like Chikara and some of the other indies that he would do? Does he call it like, the bunghole? No, it becomes the flying apple. Oh, I quite like that. Flying apple. Yeah. I mean, apple is a body shape, right? Kind of is a bit like a butt. I mean... Like a really firm butt. I was going to say, like, if, people, if you send an apple emoji for a butt, it's like, oh, all right. I don't know, I'd take that as a big compliment. If really? I had a butt as firm as an apple, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, but the shape of an apple. You want the firmness of an apple. You want an unripened peach. Is that what you want? Like, you know, a firm, round... <laughs> Visually, you want an unripened peach, yeah. but texturally, I think a firm apple is, is something to aim towards. Okay, well, folks at home, you, you eat these fruits, you let us know your thoughts, get back to us. I'm glad we can have these serious discussions here <laughs> on this serious podcast. Because it is Ring of Honor in 2009, there is strange interference involving a homeless man throwing a shoe and an yep. African prince distracting the referee. Cult hits the Superman pin and wins! What did you think of your first full Colt Cabana match? I enjoyed this match. It was fun. It was kind mm. of what I expected it to be, having heard a bit about Colt Cabana and his wrestling style. I think in many ways it's kind of an arch-typical Colt match. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it, it was funny, but there was impressive wrestling. Mm. Like, genuinely impressive wrestling. Like, I would I would recommend this to someone who was like, oh, I don't really like comedy matches because like you don't get good wrestling in it. Like, I would recommend this to someone like that. And it's such a simple narrative as well. Like, I love the narrative of... Of this guy here, you know, Colt or whoever it is, wants to have fun. And he starts having fun at the start of the match. And he's doing stuff different to an old wrestling match. And then the bad guy is like, no, I wanted to make this a serious wrestling match. And that is like you're taking away the fun. And then the fun guy has to try and overcome that using more humor. It's it's such a... It's Punch and Judy, like, yeah, you yeah. know? Like, he's just... Pitching joy is the main kind of, like, storyline within the matches. And I absolutely love it. So, Joe, what was your star rating for your first cult encounter? I gave this three out of five stars. Mm. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's a fun match. And yeah, I'd recommend it to pretty much anyone, to be honest. Excellent. It is available on Ring of Honor's YouTube channel, and it will mm. be up. Uh, we'll link a lot of these. The great thing about cult is that a lot of these matches that we've watched are available for free, very easily to watch. You don't need a network subscription to buy a pass or anything like that. It's all, all YouTube stuff. And I will say what I love about doing this episode now, even compared to when we first started this podcast a few years ago, the average kind of quality and the amount of stuff that's been uploaded by indie groups now compared to back then, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's fabulous. I've got to say that's like the biggest downside of this match is the visual quality is low. This yeah. is back in 2009 when the technical abilities of cameras was not as advanced as they are today. Yeah, no, Carrie Silkin, the owner of Ring of Honor at the time, had gotten rock band and thought that was the best way for the announcers to... Uh, I mean, that it, it is, I will say, actually, massive pinch of salt with the match. It is, it's a tough watch 
in terms of the visual fidelity yeah. and the audio fidelity. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if we were watching kind of a bootleg. This was on the official Ring of Honor yeah. channel and whatnot. So yeah, I, I'm just I'm very happy though that like you know when we watched Orange Cassidy, everything was in HD and most of the callbacks yeah. we watched are all like really nice camera work, crisp audio, good visuals, and, and I'm like that. Indie wrestling is, seems to have really upped its game in terms of production values. Yeah. So hey, so three stars for that one then. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, Joe, I thought we'd just spend a little moment just to talk about, you know, anytime someone's been in WWE, it's worth having a chat about on this podcast, I reckon. And uh, Cole Cabana did have a tenure in the WWE. Did you uh, remember what his name was? Oh, it's Scotty something. Scotty Goldman. That's it. That's it. Yep. Okay. I think I've repressed it again. Such a shit name. It sounds so stereotypical yeah it's like the creative writers were like uh like had like one sticky note on the board with cole cabana and it was just a jewish jewish question mark you know (laughs) uh that's that's what they went with so he had around three or four matches on actual tv and almost every one of them bar his first one was a complete squash but he lost every single match that he had he, he was like fed to the great Kali, to umaga the samoan bulldozer you know he was just you know put out as a job guy and uh, this folks is the first time i have used the wwe encyclopedia which is a big book i bought several years ago and wrote off against tax thinking that i would definitely be using this as a tool in this endeavor and my God, it is not a tool. It's been written by a tool, or, or a collection of tools, a box of tools, if you will. And it's rarely been necessary, and very rarely given a good indicator. It's like, who do they hate at the time, you know? Yeah. That's why Scott Stanford has got a... The guy who does the voiceovers for fucking Ride Along has got a bigger page than Scott Steiner, but whatever. Wow. But we're over here in the S's. Scotty Goldman, right? This is the WWE Encyclopedia, folks. Week after week, Scotty Goldman fell in fast fashion to gigantic superstars such as the Great Kali, Vladimir Kozlov, and Umaga. Despite the brutal beatings, Goldman always accepted the outcomes with a smile. In fact, in his relatively short period of time in WWE, the happy-go-lucky superstar made a name for himself as a bit of a joker. Since he had words like boom and pow stitched onto his singlet, he resembled more of a walking comic book page than someone in ring gear. The young superstar also hosted the popular What's Crackin' with Scotty Goldman on WWE.com, where he regularly discussed the art of wrestling. Wow. Motherfuckers. Wow. <laughs> week after week, Cocabana was defeated in quick fashion. You bastards. <laughs> Kind what of shitty. Hell. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, he was just used kind of as a as a job guy, you know. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked so many times in this podcast about someone who comes into WWE and it's like, oh, you can't see how good they are. Yeah, yeah. But then they, you know, Kevin Owens is a great example. Yeah. Finally, they do see why they've got some value, or whatever. But they never, ever, ever could see why he would give them any sort of a value. I just don't understand, like, wh- how and why, like I, yeah. how. And why? He was in their developmental system for a number... Like, OVW, FCW. Why? Like, he was there several years why in developmental. Why he even need to be in their developmental? Like... I mean, I understand that WWE, like, even with NXT now, they like to put people in there so they can learn... The, the house style, style and yeah. The house style and all that. But, like, I think what... You know, whatever about Vince not watching NXT these days, I think when Colt was in developmental, developmental was a much different place where... 
I don't think WWE even knew. They were just like, send send who you think the four top guys are. I don't think they actually even knew that Colt was a comedy wrestler and they knew anything about him. They're just like, right, you were in developmental for a few years. You're meant to be good, so here you are now. And then they don't like him, so they don't use him. And like he talked about a lot in his podcast how he was constantly pitching stuff. It's one thing if you like somebody just shows up to the company and you like moan and you're like, oh, I hate this. You know, there's a lot of people at the moment in WWE who, rightly so, are just kind of miserable with their lot in life, just asking for their release, and that's that. But Colt was always ask, you know, pitching ideas, good ideas. Yeah. Like there's one of the ideas that he pitched. I think no one's done this in wrestling, and I think it's so funny. He wanted to debut by just showing up behind another wrestler, Brian Kendrick. When Brian Kendrick was doing promos and talking about how tough he was, he just wanted Colt just to show up behind him and just like pull a face and then walk away. Okay. And the idea is that he kept spoiling these guys' promos by photobombing them, and then that would build up to a feud. And like, okay. That's how you get over that he's a silly guy. You yeah. Know? And that that's so simple. He wasn't saying, put me in the main event. Yeah. You know, or whatever. He was just saying, like, look, this is how you can use nah, me and my nah. skills. No, nah, we don't like that. No. Nah. There's even one he did in OVW. And, like, this is to show, like, the lengths which he would go. He wanted to be in this group called the Pulaski's, which was going to be a group of a Polish family of wrestlers. Cool. It's going to be, like, him and Beth Phoenix and all that. And they're, like, the idea was that they would be, like, all kind of in each other's corner, like, this kind of polish family type of a thing and you know he was always trying new stuff and just didn't work like he was very miserable when he left you know we watched the wrestling road diaries he was like 29 i think when he got fired from wwe oh wow right and like if you kind of reach the mountaintop or what you think the mountaintop is at that age and then it's like oh turns out that's completely not what you want to do or you're not you know, he thought he had to get a real job and leave wrestling behind. Oh, no. It's really fucking sad. But thankfully, Cole found his way back onto the indies. He had a big return to Ring of Honor, which was doing quite well at the time. And he started just doing like indies like all around the country and became one of the most kind of prolific indie wrestlers. And he wanted to kind of prove that you could have a schedule equal to WWE and travel the country and travel the world and make yourself good money. And I think like stuff like him... You know, the young books and all that. They were proving that you could make a full-time living, mm. you know, get get a good salary and be completely independent and not be beholden to anyone. I think that's really inspirational. Yeah. We watched a couple of the Wrestling Road Diaries movies. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you had any thoughts on those and the kind of the travels and what it's like to be an indie wrestler in, in the United States. I mean, it looks exhausting. But then <laughs> being a wrestler in the WWE sounds exhausting as well. Like, yeah. And the fact that in the WWE you have to pay for your own travel and your own... I think you have to pay, pay for your own, own hotels, hotels yep. as well. So Flights, they gasp, that's about it. I do wonder if like working for the WWE would be quite eye-opening for someone like Colt in that they go, well, hang on a second. And as an independent wrestler, I'm doing all this anyway. Mm. Yes, okay, my salary might be a bit bigger in the WWE, but it also might be a bit bigger if I just sell a few extra t-shirts myself. And- yeah, I think like WWE maybe has, it's not as if they have got a cushy road life comparatively. No, you're I still mean, working like many, many days of the week. You're still traveling all over the world. You're still, yeah, I mean, it's like what, 363 days a year or something? It's Yeah, and even if, God, hopefully it's a 363. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's like 300 you get one or one day off. <laughs> no, and it's not Christmas. Like, <laughs> you get January 3rd off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's the Royal Rumble on January 4th. Um, but yeah, they, um, if you're a lower tier guy in WWE particularly, I, I don't know the ins and outs of it. Like, I know that, like Mick Foley and Owen Hart used to always like, you know, try and stay in the cheapest, worst motels. Steve Austin would sh- stay in the, the worst hotels that he could find. But like, I imagine if you were lower down and you weren't making the six figures, you're a job guy or whatever in WWE, 
you'd probably still be doing like they do in the Rest and Road Diaries, which is like staying in mates' houses, yeah. couches, floors. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Rest and Road Diaries too, maybe was one which uh, which which we watched more recently, where you had Luke Gallows and Cliff Compton. I think the idea with that was that those were all former WWE guys. Mm. What did you think to the dynamic between those guys and Colt? Because they're obviously um, very grown-up individuals, Luke Gallows and Cliff Compton. Oh, teenagers, that's what they are. Were you a fan of uh, of either man, Cliff or Luke? Oh, yeah, they both seem like fun fun people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very silly, fun people. I mean, I don't one thing that probably is very different from WWE compared to if you're doing it indie style is the, is the healthcare. Oh, yeah, that's for sure, yeah. I mean, do you want to tell the folks what happened to, to, to Luke Gallows in the Wrestling Road Diaries? Oh, God, it's horrible. He, oh, I don't even know how long before the Wrestling Road Diaries filming started that this happened to him. I think he said it was like the week before, like two days it's before really... or something like that. Yeah, not that long, yeah. Big difference in a week and two days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know he had wrestled twice on it. Uh, he got this, like, hematoma in his groin. And it was spreading across, like, because he was still traveling, obviously, like, you know, 16 hours in a car. And he's a big boy. Yeah, a big boy in a, in a small car. And, you know, staying in these hotel rooms, which are probably meant for one person. And there's three guys there and you got to sleep on the floor on this, like, uncomfortable couch or something. And he was wrestling. And it just spread from, like, his crotch down, like, both legs into his feet. And it was so scary, like, seeing him being like, should I go to hospital? Can I even go to hospital? Do I have time? We're we're due in Cleveland in six hours to wrestle. Yeah. You know? (laughs) And they literally ended up going to the ER. They were there for like six hours overnight until like 11am in the morning. And then they had to drive all the way to Cleveland or wherever it was. And then literally as soon as they arrived, they unpacked and wrestled. And then had to be on the road again as soon as they finished. And the thing as well, right, is... I mean, hey, I could be open about this, you know... um, when you're not in a good headspace, comedy is one of the hardest things in the world to do. Yeah, There have been times with this podcast and other podcasts that I've done where I have started and realized, you know what? I'm in a foul mood. Yeah. My head's not in it. I'm not thinking funny. I'm thinking I'm pissed off mm-hmm. and I can't do it. And I yeah. have to stop and there's been delays and that happens. But you can't do that as a rest and say, you know what? I'm feeling shitty. I'm not going to... I can't do it now. I, I'll rearrange to do this another time. It's yeah. not like being a podcaster, obviously. Yeah. To be able to go out there and to be that fucking vibrant, like, hey, everyone, little kids, fucking everyone in the... Fa- all the family members, you know, like, reach out to everyone and be that, like, bright comedy spot. I don't know how the fuck he does it because I've done some shitty stand-up sets when I was in a bad mood back in Lincoln, let me tell you. All I would say is I hope, I hope, that doing those sorts of things brings him great joy mm. and that's how he does it because if that's the sort of stuff that you really look forward to in your job and that's the kind of stuff mm. where you're like actually you know what I'm, I'm feeling like shit today but that will make yeah. me feel better mm, you know absolutely. seeing the look on their faces or being able to shake the hand of these little kids and seeing how excited they are for the match or seeing the reaction of the crowd yeah, you know, that can maybe like change your disposition, unlike podcasting, where you've got no immediate feedback mm. to kind of like cheer you up with. Mm. So that's what I would hope. That being said, if you don't get your joy from those places, yeah, it must fucking suck. And that's why every time we were recording this podcast, you don't hear it because we edit out, but every 30 seconds we stop and applaud each other. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of keep the momentum up, like, and make sure we're yeah. feeling good. <laughs> that's why editing these episodes takes 20 weeks. <laughs> I was wondering, and we saw this in the third Wrestling Road Diaries, where he was travelling with Kikitaru and uh, Grado 
two other kind of comedy wrestlers, one from Scotland, one from Japan. But I was wondering why you thought to how Colt viewed his own performances and things like that. So critical of himself. Like, I don't blame him. He's obviously a perfectionist. And I think to be a truly great wrestler, you need to be quite critical of Mm. yourself. And some there's so many comparisons to stand-up comedy, but some of the best stand-up comics, again, are very critical of each of their performances that they give. Like, they come off stage and immediately like, ah, I did that wrong, I fucked this up, or I should have done that better. And there are a couple of instances of, like, us watching matches of cults where... I was like, wow, this seems like such a fun show. I would love to be there. The crowd yeah. seems so into it. Like, what a great time they're all having. What a fun match. Just wow. And at the end of it, he came out going, oh, I really screwed that up and I really wish I hadn't done this. And oh, I swore too much. And... Yeah, because like, there were kids in the audience and he had yeah. all this comedy stuff and he's like, I swore and I swore, swore hard. And he's like, that wasn't good. And wow. you know. I think it's so admirable because like, so many wrestlers wouldn't give a shit no. about swearing in front of kids. And you know what? To parents, that does make a big difference. Like, kids don't care. Kids love it when you yeah. swear. So what? But, it makes but to parents, parents yeah. who are going to buy the tickets and come to the shows in the future, that makes a big difference. And I think the difference between not swearing and swearing might be the difference between a parent going, oh yeah, I'll bring my kids to this show, and not. Because yeah, that's like four tickets for the yeah. promoter, technically, then, yeah. Now, I'm sure, again, for most parents who bring their kids to wrestling shows, they don't mind. But there will be some that do. And it's like, it's really cool that people like Colt are out there taking that into account and going, you know, I can do better and I don't have to swear all the time. I can push myself to not do that. It's really interesting. Even like, it had a series of great matches with Kikutaro in, in the movie and like, so funny, like absolutely hilarious. My, the absolute highlight of which was when, you know, Colt usually does a thing where he tells the rest, he goes, stop! And they run against the ropes and then he'll point up and say, what's that? And then he'll slap them. Yeah. Which is golden. There's a, there's a long sequence of that with Colin Delaney on YouTube from our Jobbers episode, if you remember him. And it's just absolutely hysterical. But they did a bit with Kikitaro and he went, stop, what's that? And he pointed up. And early in the day, they had noticed that there was kind of a sad balloon caught up. And Kikitaro goes, it's a balloon. And it, <laughs> you know, that's just so funny. And I thought like, if, if, you know, if I was doing stand-up, and I know I'm doing a lot of analogies to stand-up and there's not a physical element to it, obviously at all. It's very different. But if I had done stand-up and I had managed to like find something really funny that no one would notice in the room or something yeah. like that, for me, and this probably shows that I had a lower standard as a performer, I'd be like, I did a great thing in my set, so it doesn't matter. If the rest of it was terrible, it doesn't matter, because mm-hmm. all I remember is I did this one great thing. And afterwards, he's like, the fact that you know, there was like a point in the match where the crowd reacted, and he's like, oh, the fact that I didn't pick up immediately on what the crowd had done and incorporated that into the comedy shows how far I have to go as a performer. I'm like, motherfucker, you are there as a performer. That's yeah. amazing. I, I cannot understand that drive. Like, it is alien to me, but I admire the fuck out of it. That's why he's so great. Mm. Like, yeah, it's why he's the best in the business at doing comedy wrestling, I guess. He's also the best in the business, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all. I mean, this is a positive. He's the best in the business at self-promotion. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, undeniably the greatest hustler in wrestling. I mean, there's like, an art to it. Yeah, absolutely. But that's like one of the things that like everyone had to say in the in the tweets and the Facebook posts for this was just how much they admired Colt's like ability to be just like such a clever businessman. Like he really understands mm-hmm. not just like, you know, how to make money, which is obviously very important, but also how to build a rapport with your fans and like build an audience and build a fanship. Because like yeah. it's it's one thing to make money from your fans; it's another thing to build both a relationship and trust, and, and trust with the fans. Mm. And the fact that like 
we had people in the tw- in the tweet saying like that they didn't have quite enough money to buy a t-shirt and he was just like you know what it's fine just whatever you can afford that's that's good with me you know it's like in the match that we'll cover later on he ends up giving up one of his dvds to a member in the crowd like it's just like all these little things it's like really kind gestures but also really clever and absolutely like clever business sense it's t- it's it's totally like it- it's hard work you yeah know? And you've got like, to be on all the time thinking yeah. about that but like where does the line get drawn? Because, like, I'm sure there's wrestlers out there who are, like, self-promoters in a bad way. What, what, <laughs> why is it the co-managers to do it? Is it just because of that trust, or is it just because everyone knows how hard he's working, you know, how many shows he's doing and stuff like I that? I don't think it's just enough for... It's not enough for people to just know, surely, because, like, in order for people to know, you've got to have been doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, people don't just magically know these things. Like, yeah. They only know if they're made aware of of just how much you're doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because, like, I I think there is such a lack of understanding of how to promote still. Yeah. Especially on social media. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's this theory now, or this just general belief that because everyone has social media and everyone uses it all the time, and if a wrestling show is to be promoted, it'll be promoted on social media, therefore everyone does it to a certain standard. And my God, like, you know, Cole, Cole is the originator in many respects of using social media to really effectively promote and brand yourself and to promote wrestling mm. shows. And I, my heart used to go out to him like back in 2010 when I was first on Twitter. He's one of the first people I followed because the Art of Wrestling podcast had started back back then. And I remember he would tweet promoters saying, if you don't put a full stop in front of my Twitter handle, no, one no one's going to see it. Yeah. And he, that would be like a lot of his tweets. Uh, and it's like, you know what? I still fucking see it. Yeah. The amount of times where like, I, or I've done something for a podcast and then someone's replied to, to the podcast saying they've done a thing. It's like, no one's going to see yeah. it. No. no one is. So frustrating. <laughs> if we ever do anything for you, you know, anything you want to tweet about us, put a full stop for at the start of it. Please. <laughs> it's a little PSA there. But, you know, he, he did things like cut my promo. We saw a little bit of that in the Wrestling Road Diaries where, you know, he's got loads of matches coming up. But he would do a little comedy bit with a wrestler after a show where it's like, right, cut my promo for me because I got these matches coming up and they'll do a little bit. Or like, Creative has nothing for you. He managed to, you know, just do little comedy skits while he was traveling and incorporate that promotion in there, you know? He would have sections in his podcast for plugs and upcoming events. And I'd be lying if I said that the number, you know, the number one inspiration for, for this, it's, it's Cole Cabana, you yeah. know? There's lots of podcasts out there. Okay, and there's loads of podcasts who do loads of different formats. But if you ever ask me or Joe or Adam or Billy or whatever, you know, who's doing wrestling podcasts, who the number one inspiration in terms of like how to how to brand it, how to have respectful plugs, you know, how to market it, how to market it. I I look to Cole Cabana, mm. and you know, for everyone who tweets and messages me saying like, how should I do this, that, and the other, it's like, well, you know, I would say learn learn from the the people I learn from and observe how people like Cole Cabana use social media. And when they don't use social media as well. Because you don't have to tweet every fucking hour of every no. fucking day. And he doesn't do that, you yeah. know? So obviously, the Wrestling Road Diaries, he met many fabulous wrestlers from all over the world. I think we mentioned briefly in the Daniel Bryan episode, obviously, that was the first Wrestling Road Diaries. From our perspective of having watched all three, I mean, I, for me, I would say the third one is a must-watch. Oh, yeah. The third one was my favourite, personally. Why was it your favourite? I think because it was specifically about comedy and wrestling, Mm. which is something that I'm very interested in. Like, comedy wrestling is my favourite genre of wrestling. It was very focused, I thought. Yeah, it was. And I really, really, really liked 
Grado and Kikutaro. Yeah. They're both really likable guys. And such a... Di- like, it's so funny. The first one is Daniel Bryan and Sal Renaro, which is, like, you know, a super big mega star and kind of a job guy. And that's, like, its own dynamic. And then the mm. second one, it's Colt with, like, basically two older brothers and Cliff Compton and Luke Gallows, who are basically preempting Southpaw regional wrestling by yeah. like five years <laughs> in the back. Like, uh, shit like this is why we should have formed a union all these years ago. <laughs> but the Wrestling Road Diaries 3 is with Kikutaro and Grado and they're like kind of, it, it's it's a much more wholesome environment compared yeah, to the second one. It is. It's a shorter, better edited, better put together movie. And I hadn't checked it out, honestly, until we were doing this episode. And I'm, I'm really kicking myself for not doing it. It's, it's excellent. It's, it's his best. And you can get all of his stuff on Digital Cult. You can get it. Physical DVDs, if that's your thing as well. But like, that's the thing. You go see a show and Cole Cabana's there. You will get the, you'll be able to get all of this stuff. That's so cool. I can't even imagine how he carries all that stuff around with him. I was very, very intrigued to finally see inside the studio apartment in the wrestling room. Yeah, that was fascinating to see. It's basically a merch shop. Yeah. Serious punk rock aesthetic, though. You know, you got you got the the inventory in front of you. Yeah. He, lo- he loads it up in a massive suitcase with them. You it know? just must be so hard because you've got all the skew, haven't you? All the different sizes and all mm-hmm. the different t-shirts and, and then the DVDs as well. And that is why you can go to teespring.com slash wrong wrestling shirts because we don't want to turn our house into a warehouse. Yes, <laughs> no, thank you. You know, but that's that's admirable that he has like all that himself. You know, he, he, he does that. He hustles. I, I think one of my favorite bits of cult merchandise ever, I used to wear it nonstop until I sadly lost it while moving to Manchester he got like I must have gotten a job lot somewhere of like thousand work shirts, you know, old timey work shirts, and he's got a patch that said Colt on one side, and the other patch said professional wrestler. Like it's you know, if someone wearing a work shirt at a cement mixing factory or something. And this, this is brilliant. Like those were so unique. Yeah. I remember like having an absolutely loving I had this thick quality work shirt that had this funny weird patch on it. But like that's such a hustle because he didn't make you know, he had to stitch on all these yeah. All these things. And all he did was find this job lot of old shirts or whatever. I, just, I love hustle like that. That's yeah. so fucking smart, you know? I wish I had the ability to see opportunities like he does, yeah. you know? But hey, we're going to talk about the funniest wrestling match I think I've ever seen in my life now. I was in tears of laughter watching this. Yep. I got so giddy. I'm giddy today because of watching this yesterday. I can verify you are giddy today. How giddy am I today? Very giddy. Yes. <laughs> it's a good thing we're doing a podcast. Joe, this is from Chikara, King of Trios, 2012, night number three. And this is available on YouTube. This match overwhelmingly was the most selected match from folks. We had like at least 10 people saying, watch this match. We have got, big deep breath... <gasps> Scott Parker, Shane Matthews, Ebisan, Taco Yakida versus Cole Cabana, Swamp Monster, Darkness Crabtree, and Yornal Sanders. Now, we've seen some of these people here before. Ebisan's Kikitaru. That was his old ring name. He had to change his name. Yeah. How would you describe Ebisan slash Kikitaru? He's the world's stupidest wrestler, isn't he? <laughs> That's how he describes himself. He's dumb. He's sleepy. I think he's supposed to be clumsy. Yeah. He's like a like a stereotypical like dumb idiot. I like, mean, uh, he is like a parody of a wrestler in 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 like I don't think he's like cult in the character that he's meant to be like a really great wrestler who happens to use mm. comedy. He is a a great wrestler who completely uses comedy. Like that is yes. his entire kind of 
his his entire repertoire. I mean, I don't know if it's just the match I saw, but he didn't seem to do much wrestling. Yeah. It was mostly kind of like slapstick, physical comedy stuff. Fabulous stuff. Very funny. Uh, Absolutely fantastic. I was trying to, I've I've called it an imp, a goblin, a puckawoogie, a noddy and big ears combined (laughs) into one. Like they fuse like in, in Steven Universe. Honestly, this episode has given me such an appreciation for like weird Japanese masks. Yeah. I really love them. Like, I can't imagine how hard it must be to wrestle in them all the time. Yeah, fucking hell! But they look awesome. Yeah, well, actually, when you you hear him speak when he pulls off the mask, he's fucking drenched in sweat. Yeah. Like. He mentioned just randomly, and I don't know if this is a joke or not, but on the Wrestling Road Diaries movie, he just mentioned randomly he's like smoking a cigarette. He's like, "My dad's a yakuza, by the way." So I'm doing this on my own. It's like, are you are you joking or are you serious? Yeah, I thought he was joking. But then the fact that he was like smoking, it was nighttime and he was all on his own. He was looking quite pensive. And, and then Kiryu he started... in Yakuza smokes all the time. So we that's, that's a link right there. He also started talking about like the very real issue of like high suicide rates in japan which makes me think he was being serious because like you don't just you don't bring up you just don't bring up like a massive epidemic like that and then be like ah joking about my dad being accuser when he's not and also i don't know if you joke about your dad being yeah probably you definitely wouldn't you know uh you know i've i've <laughs> a lot of experience with Yakuza Joe, uh, Yakuza you Zero, the games, yeah. Yakuza Kiwami, Yakuza Kiwami Two. You know, so I kind of, in terms of Majima, I, I, I'm quite well versed, yeah. knowledgeable on Yakuza. So yeah, I think you're probably right on, on that front. Which is just like, that's yeah, so scary to think that it's, it's so funny to think that a, a comedy wrestler like this could come from the son of a Yakuza member. It's really interesting though, and he's like, yeah, he's taught. He said he. You know, he wants to make people happy. Yeah. You know, that's all he wants to do. And when Colt is asked similarly on interviews, he said, you know, that wrestling is escapism. Comedy is escapism. So comedy and wrestling together is like the ultimate escapism. Where like, you know, I think honestly, when you're at a live wrestling show, a funny match in a live round, I don't think we've, you and I have yet seen a truly very hilarious match. I think we actually saw a couple of nice bits at Fight Club Pro. There was some humorous spots yeah. and all that. But like a straight up gut buster like this, seeing it live. I would love to see a comedy match live. And I will say, by the way, when we manage to see Cole Cabana live, which is very high up on the wrestling bucket list, oh, there, yeah. there will be an immediate how to revisited about that experience. Mm-hmm. How to revisited, by the way, are episodes like Kurt Angle, Daniel Bryan, John Cena, Shields, ones that have changed massively since they first came out years ago. That's all up now on patreon.com slash how to for any $5 backers. So, this match makes no sense. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense in the world of comedy wrestling. But, like, yeah, outside of that world, it makes no sense. Why don't you describe some of the competitors for me here? Gladly. Okay. So, first of all, we have Colt Cabana. Yeah. We know him, obviously. We know him. We love him. We have Yonel Sanders, which is, like, creepy Colonel Sanders wearing a Colonel Sanders mask. It is the skin. It's like, no, it's like someone has cut off all of Colonel Sanders' skin and then have entire, worn it like a ghillie suit. Yeah, head skin. Oh, it's he's so I love scary. It. I don't think it's scary at all. I think it's really funny. It is the scariest fucking thing ever. No, it's funny. It, on, on, and I want to see him versus versus Shawn Michaels versus Dolph Ziggler in a Colonel Sanders triple threat match and then Miz could run in with the distraction with a bad chicken sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so we have yeah Cole Cabana Yonel Sanders we have Darkness Crabtree do you remember who, him from a previous episode yes it was long matches yes and he wrestled for like four days or something <laughs> 
So yeah, Darkness Crabtree, for those who don't know, is a very old man. Yeah. Very, very, very old man. I think he's supposed to be like 189 years old. He, he is a million years old. A million years old. <laughs> uh, that's my estimation. Your estimation. Those okay. are my figures. We also have the Swamp Monster. Which are you happy to see him wrestle finally? Very happy to see him wrestle. I was trying to see if I could recognize whose legs it was. Do you think that the Swamp Monster could work... Uh, Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Oh, or, yeah. Or, you reckon? Because I yeah, just figured representation all, of weed. I yeah. just figured the fans would all knock down the barricades and come and just and eat him, him, like, yeah. you know, set him on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, those who haven't listened to our Orange Cassidy episode, the Swamp Monster is basically uh, a, a swamp monster. I mean, self explanatory. It's not a swamp thing, it's a swamp monster. Swamp monster who's very smelly. And a member of the Gentleman's Club. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have Scott Parker and Shane Matthews. 3.0. So they're like two... They seem quite generic to me, wrestlers. But I, you didn't mean that in an offensive way, mine, did you? No, but just in comparison to like, you know, Creepy Colonel Sanders and the Swamp Monster yeah. and... Matching lightning tights is kind of generic compared to that. That's yeah. fair. Shea Matthews, one of my all-time faves. Yes. Big magic. We also have, uh, of course, uh, Takuyakita and Ebisan. Takuyakita has got a... It's got like a crown. crown. It's like yeah. a little king. I, I, he could be a king or could be representation of something else yeah if you know let us know but as it stands I thought he was he was like wrestling like he was a little prince and I like that a little prince a yeah, little that's prince cool. yeah um, <laughs> Colonel Sanders immediately starts doing cartwheels which is just for me it was like no sorry I'm going to keep calling him Colonel Sanders I just realised <laughs> I actually have written down Colonel Sanders that's bad he's yeah. not he's Yornal he's Sanders not. he's Yornal yeah do you want to get sued like <laughs> Did you spot what or who we had on commentary at the start of this match? Uh, well, I know we had Steve the Turtle. We also had Leonard F. Chikarison, fan of the Aoshiro podcast. Uh, there was also uh, a feathered individual. There was. There was a chicken on commentary. I think that's because of Yonel Sanders, maybe? Maybe yeah. the chicken was going to fight for his corner and not be, I don't know, Not fried. be Kentucky fried. Yeah. Did you like the addition of a little chicken on commentary? I really did, yeah. What other sound effects or noises or animals would you like to see represented on commentary? Um, hmm. A dog. Mm. I'd like to see. Yeah, a dog would be good. Well, it goes like rough, rough and there's a nice move or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. You could have a, an angry cat that could do the Jerry Lawler <laughs> when like, a big move happens. That would be good. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> we don't, hey, we don't need you anymore, Jerry. We've got this agitated cat we got from the shelter. <laughs> 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 Swamp Monster is very smelly. That yeah, is the, the kayfabe. It's too smelly. Everyone doesn't want to wrestle him because he's so smelly. When Colt was tagged in, did you hear how he referred to himself? No. So they were doing the thing where like, people were running against the ropes and Colt was doing strongman wrestler pose, which is when you just lift up your arms and go... Mm. Very impressive chest Colt Cabana has. He's built like a brick shit house. Yeah, he's got awesome physique. And I will say, when I, when I met him in person... I was very taken aback. And I, as myself, as a tall man, I'm very taken aback by how big he was. Yeah. I often am with wrestlers, but I was particularly taken aback. I think him and Mick Foley were the wrestlers who were both way taller than I thought in my head that they were. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you now if I was taller than Cole, because I'm 6'5". Yeah. And I, I, in my image, I'm looking up to him in my head. Aww. Even though there are pictures of me and him together that yeah. I'm not sure if I have... Uh, <laughs> If I'm taller than him or not. I think not. you're taller than him. Am I? I think, from what I remember of those pictures, I think you're like an inch or two taller. I, wrestlers didn't like having their picture taken with me a lot of the time. Oh, because it makes I've them learned. seem small. Yeah. 
Honestly, or they're like, I'm sitting down. Could you like take a knee? I'm like, oh yeah, sure thing. No Aww. bother. Like, you know, I want to make you feel bad, Shaw Samuels. But now I do. You were very short, and I hunkered down for you. And now you, everyone knows that you're a bad person. So I think about that for a second. <laughs> so Cole was doing the the big strongman stuff. Yeah, he he was like college football and all that. Jazz. Yeah, you were telling me he used to be like this jock Cole football jock player. I love that. It's so funny. I would never have guessed that. It does kind of. It's very interesting, you know, given. You know the the friends he made in wrestling because mm. when you think of like football guys and stuff like that, you don't think of like indie darlings. You no. don't think of like people like Cole Cabana. You think of Baron you, Corbin and Roman <laughs> Reigns. Yeah, you think of great wrestlers. Of <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Cole's doing his strongman chest stuff, and he t- he warned his opponent that he was two hundred and fifty pounds of pure chocolate. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love that's charming. Cole hit Takuya too much, and he got sad. So he had to apologize. There was a great moment. This is a top spot for me in yeah. the match where the the crowd started chanting, say you're sorry. Oh my God. Say you're sorry. There's just some absolute gold here where, you know, I, when you have multi-person matches like this, I love, like, and it's going to be comedy. I don't want it just to be tag in. These two do their comedy. Tag in. These two do their comedy. There's so many spots that involve all the, com- all the wrestlers and the referee. Yeah. Like, Cole gets pinned by four opponents, kicks out of all of them, and then pulls Bryce Remsburg, the referee, on, and then kicks out as the big, like, you know, <laughs> I've done it, you know, big kick out, you know. <laughs> Stop. What's that? Stop. What's that? Yeah. So, we had a reversal of the original joke. Yeah. Which I didn't quite get because I hadn't seen it enough at this point right, to realise. Right. But it's only since the start of recording this that I've realised, ah, okay, I see it was a play on a thing that he does Cole's normally. Cole's got a bit. He's got a bit. So he pointed at the ceiling and went, stop, what's that? And then they slapped him <laughs> one by one by one until he threw himself out of the ring. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, quite impressive. And like particularly as well the fact that his stop, what's that becomes more and more kind of dejected. Yeah. Like, goes from, stop, stop, what's that? The last is like, stop, what's that? And <laughs> I love how much like Ver- how much verbiage there is in these matches yeah. it's, it's a difficulty with watching some of the earlier Cole stuff is that it's obviously there's a lot of what he's saying and the crowd is laughing and then the announcers are talking over it mm. and I liked in Jakari here that they laid back the announcers when they're, yeah. like, they're obviously doing a bit shut up you yeah, know? The, the announcers were really good in this but I've got to say one of the people on commentary sounded exactly like Jerry Seinfeld yeah he said Leonard F. Jakarson said like that was it that, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it just sounds exactly like Jerry Seinfeld to me, which was great for me because I was like just imagining Jerry on commentary. It's fine. With God as my witness, he's broken in half. <laughs> Last time I checked, that's not broken in half, mankind. <laughs> it's uh, it was it was something which I can never unhear. So thank you very much for yeah, that, Joe. You're welcome. And uh, everyone at home who's listening as well, thank thank Joe in your own unique way. There, you're welcome. Uh, thank you. Something happens involving six wrestlers, and I was wondering if you could help me. Explain it. So Colt kicks out of five opponents' pin attempts mm-hmm. plus a referee's pin attempt. Yeah, mm-hmm. the referee got involved and yeah. tried to pin Colt for some reason. Don't expect me to explain this. <laughs> then they all wanted a timeout. Yeah. Everyone's like wandering around going, timeout, timeout, to the ref who just tried to pin Colt. And then there was like a chain submission. So yeah, there's leg scissors. Yeah. So someone wraps their legs around someone's head. Yeah. And someone else came in, wrapped their legs around the other person's head. Yeah, and someone else came in, and someone else came in, someone else came in, until basically the entire, all the opponents were in the ring doing this uh, chain submission. 
And then Colt came in to do his, is it his finisher? Yes, so back in the day, it was called the Bill, and forgive me, I know fucking nothing about sports in America, yet alone Chicago folklore and legends, but it used to be called the Billy Goats Curse. Right. And it was, it was making reference to the fact that the team, the Cubs, always got to like the final or very close to winning the World Series or the big the big baseball. The big baseball. Yeah. Base footy that I know about, right? But it, they always came close and then they always fucked it up at the end. Right. And that was known as the Billy Goats curse. But in recent years, the Cubs actually did win. So now the move is called Cubs win. Okay. <laughs> but at this point, it, I think it was called the Billy Goats Curse. Right, fair enough. It's like a reverse Walls of Jericho. You got your legs on the other side and turns you over. Yeah, which he then did to like seven people. He turned them into a human centipede, Joe. He sure did. And then everyone tried to do a bulldog at once. And everyone ended up getting pinned at the same time. They all ran into each other. Yeah. And everyone is out. And then they all did a strike at the same time to the guy on their right. Hey, they all they all pinned each other. Yeah. And there was one, two. All they all kicked off. out too, yeah. They all did the chop. They all went back down. Like, it's just, it's so, again, because it's like, if you saw that and you weren't a wrestling fan, that is just, it's a hilarious sight. Yeah. It's dance. It is. But if you see that and you are a wrestling fan who's probably seen all the Ring of Honor matches where everyone's done the strong style, kick out of the, you know, the figure four and then they're chopped back then, it was, you know, doing the strong style yeah. and I thought that was so fucking funny. Well, you the know? best bit about it was then all this, everyone sitting in a circle kicking out a two led to an impromptu game of Duck, Duck, Goose. Oh my. Now, Duck, Duck, Goose is a controversial topic in the household here now. Yeah, I don't like Duck, Duck, Goose because it's stressful. Why is Duck, Duck, Goose stressful? Because I'm you? really bad at it. What, are you bad at being the goose or just bad at the environment I of Duck, Duck, Goose? I hate sitting in a circle waiting to see if I've been picked, knowing that I have to do physical exercise if I do get picked, and I'll probably lose, and then I'll just have to keep playing this stupid game forever and then there's also the rejection of not being picked and then like if a few that's the worst if they do a few rounds of duck duck goose and you two or three you're like i'm getting pretty lucky here and then four or five is like oh the goose feels sorry for me <laughs> <laughs> the goose doesn't think i've got it in me like the goose doesn't think i got any gas left in the tank i'll show you goose so yeah it was the best child's party game i have seen in wrestling and i speak from someone who is a very big fan of the time they did musical chairs on monday night Raw. oh yeah so duck duck goose is very very good past the parcel maybe yeah. with ecw wrestlers and there's like barbed wire yeah, or something like that. <laughs> kendo sticks yeah something like that'd that. be fun it's very good so darkness crabtree was picked as the goose but he was so slow and old that Scott Parker ended up running like loops around him. Mm. So the Swamp Monster attacked him, leading to Shane Matthews demanding a DQ for cheating at Duck Duck Goose. And the passion at which oh, yeah. he begs for the DQ. So angry. It's like, it's like the wrestler who's like, you know, if they lose the match, you know, they're they're retired and they think it's a two count. They're like, no, ref, please. Like on his hands and knees, tears. Like, yeah. you, you gotta DQ him. <laughs> and at this point, the commentary team had to stop because they were laughing too much. That's amazing. All right, it says a lot about the commentary here on Chikara, right? That we had three commentators, one of which was a chicken, yeah. and all of which had uncontrollable laughing fits. That they did a better job yeah. than most commentary we hear on WWE yeah. <laughs> and on the Ring of Honor show that we watched earlier. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's pretty good. So Ebison clears house, but in the process of clearing house... A very sad thing happens because Darkness Crabtree, he dies. Yeah, he dies of old age. <laughs> they put 
a cloth over his head. It's so morbid. It's so funny. But I think it's only okay because the the silliness has been so silly. Yeah. That you can do this. I think if you did a normal comedy match and then you pulled this out at the end, it would it would be a bit poor taste. Yeah, it's just fun of like he's obviously he's played too much Duck Duck Goose. It was too <laughs> physically exhausting we, we, for him. We've all been there. Yeah, all been there. You know, had too much juice and cake at a party. You know, <laughs> he died. Um, so <laughs> the, end. the end ring the fucking bell of course now this would be ref stoppage if this was uh, Hell in the Cell with the, the Fiend and Seth Rollins in oh, 2019 yeah. of course yeah. look at this fucking Darkness Crabtree died in the ring and they still kept going like <laughs> not only did they keep going but his teammates actually brought him a red bull and fed it to him carefully which brought him temporarily back to life where he became supercharged and started fighting everyone it was absolutely beautiful to see yeah then he died again. Then he, he, it runs out. Obviously, yeah. Red Bull, PSA, it'll only give you a limited energy boost. Try and get your energy from natural sources. Instead, maybe darkness. That was the, the lesson to be learned. So Takayakita then tries to take advantage of the fact that Darkness Crabtree has just died and does a splash off the top rope that he misses. And he oh. just is lying there in pain while his teammates all pick him up and move him onto the corpse of Darkness Crabtree. <laughs> To get the pin. Yay! We what win. a victory! Can I just say, the crossbody off the top, because Kikataro did it a few times as well, and some of the stuff we watched with him, the crossbody off the top where you just whiff and land straight down. Fantastically funny, but, but my God, it must suck. <laughs> yeah, cold, cold a lot smarter in his comedy yeah. spots where they're f- as funny, but you're not fucking jumping off the top rope and landing on your face. Yeah. Like, oh my God. This was hysterical stop this podcast go watch this match right this goddamn second you know but what is your rating joe i gave it five stars i'm really worried that me trying to describe this match will ruin the the humor of it because it's like you just have to see it it's just so funny it is and i don't think you've like i don't say like you've not done it justice in the sense that i don't think i can do it yeah that's it i think in terms of recapping the match and what you enjoyed and critiquing it you've done it absolute justice thank you words alone cannot do watching this match justice you have to see this match yeah i I know last week last episode we were like you've got to go see terry funk die in an atomic bomb explosion and now you have to watch this one and now you have to watch this very very silly match Five stars. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. It's so funny. You are you are notoriously reticent in your five I stars. So I know. That's... I've been a bit more liberal with them lately, I guess. Well, no, no, I think it's just we've watched some really great matches that I've really enjoyed. It's just, I, the... I love this. I, I, wish, I wish there was more comedy and wrestling so I could get more stuff like this. It's so much my favourite thing in wrestling. Did you like the Chikara that you saw? Yeah, I loved it. It was so funny. And I loved that the commentary was so good because that's... It would have been so easy to have have people on commentary that just kept talking over the funny mm. moments or tried to explain the funny moments or trying to or make just, it about them yeah and that just didn't happen it was so good everyone was so funny PG and, as well so you don't have to you know yeah. worry about someone coming out and dropping F-bombs or you know doing a poor taste joke or anything and like that and you got a really good mix as well of everyone being in the match at once there was mm. no one who was like you know particularly in it more than anyone else you know everyone got a chance to do a funny yeah, bit as a comedy troupe yeah that's amazing and impressive me, with you know, eight people yeah eight people people I, i've seen some comedy troops with four in them that have struggled yeah. to have equal time and that's amazing really really good so 
So, another five-star match in the books, Joe. I know! I feel I should be, like, keeping a catalogue of them somewhere, like, I don't know, on the website or something, have the section that's, like, Joe's five-star matches. We thought that on Cinema Row that we should keep track of it, but then a fan started doing it, so we were like, oh, okay, we'll just assume that someone will do it. Maybe someone will do that for me as well. <laughs> right, so, we're we'll probably get into our next match. There's something really important, I think, a part of Colt's kind of worlds. We've touched on it briefly, but let's have a little bit more of a focused chat about it. Uh, are you aware of the podcast that Colt Haddon did for nearly 10 years? The one that he's only just recently stopped doing. Very recently stopped. I think, I know it's it's stopped officially. However, I know that there are still a few more that he's, he had said in an announcement that there's a few more that he's going to do, a few more live ones. So there'll be stuff coming out in like December and January of 2020, as far as I know. Mm. I know he had also said that he was going to set up a Patreon and on that Patreon he might do episodes here and there, as it happens. He did that podcast weekly. Weekly? Weekly. The Art of Wrestling is weekly. Art of Wrestling, weekly it was. Wow. And every week, in the first guise of the podcast was that he would sit down across from a wrestler, someone you know maybe he was doing a show with, have a chat with them, and that was it. Just get to know them. It could be about wrestling, it could be about something else entirely, and that was, that was, that was the format of it. And he released one of those every week for free. And I'll tell you, in 2010, there weren't a lot of great wrestling podcasts around. No, I bet. And in my, estimate, in my estimation, Art of Wrestling is the wrestling podcast. Because without Art of Wrestling, there won't be no Steve Austin doing podcasts. There won't be no Jim Ross doing podcasts. There won't be you know a lot of fans like us doing podcasts. Because I think he made wrestlers realize in many ways the value of their of, of their conversation. Yeah. You know, I really don't know if there would be as many Q&As, spoken words, an evening with, and stuff like that, had it not been for a lot of these wrestlers actually realising, hey, shit, people want to hear me have a chat yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. you know? Folks who you wouldn't have re- thought who had, like, really amazing character moments and mm. all that. Like, I told you about Neville, Oh, yeah. Or Pac, as he's now known and was known back then, about him and the art of wrestling. Mm. You want to tell folks about like what happened with him on the podcast? So you were saying that he starts off the podcast like quite short answers, like yes, no answers. Mm. Kind of Colt says you're such this amazing, dynamic, energetic, incredibly athletic wrestler. Mm. You know, your style is so cool. And Pac was there just like, yep. Mm, thanks yeah Mm -hmm. and then you said that around midway through they kind of seemed to stop the interview and Colt at the beginning is like I know it seems like we stopped the interview just keep listening Mm. don't turn off we continue it and then Pac ends up going on this bit of a like a 10 minute speech about how like his whole life he's spoken down his own accomplishments Mm. and not really celebrated what he's good at and saying that it's really hard for him to do that and you know where he comes from people don't really do that and you know the wrestlers in general don't really do that either and it's like amazing to think like of it's almost like therapy for wrestlers it felt like a lot of time that podcast you know it was the podcast where you know scott hall who was finally kind of clean and sober and on the right track got to almost reintroduce himself to a new generation of fans it's the podcast where William Regal, over two, like, two and a half hour sessions, literally laid out the blueprints of psychology and wrestling. I'd love to listen to that. I, I, mean, I mean, we listened to some art of wrestling, but I think the reality was is that, you know, when we're recording and we're watching lots of matches, listening to several multi-hour long mm-hmm. episodes, I think when we come to our revisited, we'll have more episodes listened to by then. But, like, yeah, I mean... William Regal on that, like, what what an invaluable tool it is mm. to hear a wrestler speak so eloquently about 
about such, you know, topic, you know, wrestlers don't talk about psychology or why wrestling works or yeah. why these moves, you know, it's, it's stuff we talked about when we saw William Regal live and all that. A lot of wrestlers are doing these live tours and stuff like that. It really felt like, you know, we're talking nearly 10 years ago, folks are doing this on the, on these podcasts with Colt. You got to find out which wrestlers were exceptionally strange. Yeah. He talks to Macho Man Randy Savage's brother, the genius, Lanny Poffo. It is one of the most bewildering hour and a half you ever listened to. I wake up every morning. I choose to be healthy. I choose to be happy. I play basketball on my own. I have no time for friends, no time for women. You know, he's just this man who mm. thinks he's so normal. And then in the context of this podcast, you find out like, wow, that guy's weird. Yeah. But Colt would like interview like people, like little background folks who are in Beyond the Mat, the wrestling movie and all that. I mean, an episode we did listen to in its full length, because I just think it's possibly the most prestigious episode of a podcast ever. We listened to Cliff Compton and his Nigerian journey on Art of Wrestling. Uh, what were your memories of that whole experience? Well, he certainly had a bit of a tough time in Nigeria with yeah. uh, Power Uti. What are your thoughts on Power Uti, Joe? My thoughts on Power Uti. He... Um, I mean, I don't know if I have thoughts of so much as facts. <laughs> or, or feelings. <laughs> no, I don't really have feelings either. Like, What, what, are, what, are, what, what are your feelings in Power Uti? They're complicated, I think. Yeah. I think he's one of the most fascinating entities in wrestling. Like, And mm. this is what I love. Like, there's loads of like, little kind of like, almost like it's like wrestling canon. There's like kind of weird little bits and bobs of these strange characters. And I feel like Colt and the Art of Wrestling really brought them to life by having these extended interviews. What are the facts you know about Power Uti? He carries the saxophone with him wherever he goes. He plays his own saxophone during his entrance music. Dresses like the Pope. He dresses like the Pope. Yeah. Do you remember what his special finishing manoeuvre was? His, his kind of big thing he would do to the crowd? No. Where he'd pull out his special card. Oh, he had a special like, referee card. Yes. Yeah. And he would chant, You're going down and then he'd headbutt you for real for real yeah I, I don't know if how to Uti could happen you know I, I kind of feel like if there's if there's a willing backer out there who wants to take the plunge yeah and can help us source a large quantity of Nigerian wrestling we might we might do how to power Uti it does seem like a lot of professional wrestlers have had like an interaction with power Uti like there's lots of different wrestlers we could probably get interviews listen to interviews with yeah I mean where they've Met him. Mick Foley in his book talked yeah. about the great Power Uti. Yeah. Who was pulling the same shit in the 80s as he was yeah. in the early 2000s. So working with Power Uti, make sure you get paid beforehand. Yes, before you go to Nigeria. It's yeah. very important. I mean, I just think like, though, you think people like Cliff Compton, who was part of a, a tag team that was moderately successful during a time when WWE didn't care about tag teams, really. And I think by being able to speak... And have that platform and that podcast. I think that was great about Colt is that he provided a platform for his peers mm. who were able to actually like, you know, have a little chat and actually get their personality over because they're not on TV every week, but they're going to be in your ears telling you these stories. And a lot of the wrestlers who appeared in Art of Wrestling have went on to have gimmicks, t-shirts, bits, you know, from their podcast appearances that they've then kind of, you know, monetized and made a little bit of scratch for themselves out of. And I yeah. think that's fucking awesome. You yeah, know? that's really cool. So... Our next match is against another comedy legend in the world of wrestling. Hailing from Scotland, this is from ICW in 2014. The first meeting and encounter between Cole Cabana and someone who idolizes him and modeled himself after him in many ways. It's only Grado. Yay. What's your thoughts on Grado, Joe? He reminds me a lot of Billy Keeble. <laughs> 
Okay, explain explain to me. I feel like Billy is our go-to. Like we say, everyone look. Is like, yeah, I, like Billy, going, yeah. Billy. Billy energy is a phrase that is used a lot in yeah. this house to describe someone. Mm-hmm. So why is Grado got the Billy energy? He's got. He's just like effortlessly funny. The way that Billy is like effortlessly funny. Mm. Like and he just comes out with these random things that he'll say, which is just like. Just very, very funny, but like unexpectedly so. <laughs> Cole like described how Grado's style was different. In that Grado hasn't got all these like big comedy spots or bits necessarily. Yeah, the comedy is him. It's yeah, him. he's it's, just funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's yourself, Grado. That's 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 the bit that's funny. Is is that he himself kind of and the world around him kind of interacts in a way that ends up being very, very humorous yeah. and funny. And he looks funny as well. He pulls these great faces in the matches that he's in. This. They're really funny, yeah. I mean, Grado definitely will be will be getting his own episode. I think. That's, oh, I hope that's, so. It's fair to say, uh, but I will just say, Joe, uh, folks need to know how much you loved that entrance music. Oh God, I've been singing it all day. It's really so good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been strutting around the house with a bum bag. It's been amazing. So yeah, uh, the, the song in question, Joe. Uh, like a Prayer by Madonna. Classic banger. Absolute banger. So good. So what were your expectations going into this one? You have two very comedically focused wrestlers. And it's just one-on-one. There's not like a, an ensemble this time. And of course, obviously, ICW, scale down ring. You're in a kind of a club environment with a really rowdy crowd. Like, how, how do you think that should work? Should someone become a bad guy then, a comedy bad guy and a comedy good guy? Or can they can this work as, a, as two good comedy guys, so I to speak? I think it can work, yeah. I don't yeah. see why it shouldn't. I don't know. Like, I, I just, I, I find it's like, a, of all the the combinations, it's one of the most difficult ones to pull off. I think they do it here, mm. personally. But I think it's very difficult to have someone be endearing and funny and not be at the expense of the other person because if the other person has to play it up they have to be a curmudgeon almost mm. and that makes them kind of like a little bit like a heel in a sense mm. like there were points in this match where the crowd did boo cold that's true yeah because of some of his antics I mean you've got a I lived in Glasgow for for, for a nice year and a bit mm. very very fond memories a pure time in my life you have uh, some scotch <laughs> you have some sc- delete that you have some <laughs> Scottish blood in you have you not uh, yes, yeah. Um, my my family was Scottish. Ah, and you lived in Scotland for a bit as well, didn't you? Did live in Aberdeen for a few months, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, would you say Grado? You know, good representation for the the Scottish people. Oh yeah, fantastic! I love that he drinks Iron Brew. Essential. You're a fan of Iron Brew? Oh yeah. I mean, talk to me about about why what what would an American who can't get Iron Brew what would they experience with it? Because it's not FDA approved. It's not allowed over there. <laughs> Which, I, which is the funniest goddamn thing in the world, like. Of course it's not FDA approved. Of course it isn't. It's just... I think the best way to explain Iron Brew is to explain, like, how they make Iron Brew. Which is basically... I don't know how they make Iron Brew. So I don't know if this is still how they make Iron Brew, but this is how they used to make Iron okay. Brew. There's this river in Scotland, I forget the name of it, where it's it's bright orange, basically, because of the high uh, iron content right. in there. It's all gotten rusty for the water. And it's like literally bright orange. It's almost glowing. It's it's fantastic to see. It's really cool. And they like basically use that water in the process instead of using normal clear water, which oh. gives it its traditional orange colour. I see. And iron brew tastes like metal because iron is one of, or used to be one of its main ingredients. I see. Okay. So it's this lovely like metal tasting glowing orange drink made from river water. <laughs> now I thought it was glowing orange because there was a chemical that, I knew there was a chemical that they used to put in it and then when I lived there in Glasgow it was like there was big uproar because the EU had banned the chemical. Oh really? And they had to like literally lobby it saying it was like a cultural, a cultural thing. 
saying, yeah. like, that they needed a special chemical to make this amazing drink. <laughs> I didn't grow up drinking iron brew. I grew mm. up drinking iron brew. Iron. Iron. As in F-E. I-R-O-N. Yeah. B-R-E-W. Wow. That was an Irish little growing up. You used to be able to get iron brew. And then when I moved to Scotland, I was having the real thing. And let me tell you, that was a, that was the thing of beauty right there. Yeah, I bet. I can't imagine knockoff iron brew is very nice. I was very, very happy in this match, which very much has big brother versus little brother dynamic. Or is it big sister versus little brother? I'm not sure. Mm. No one got colour in this, because if it was big brother versus little brother, for me, there's someone be getting colour. Like I think it's big brother, little sister. Big brother, little sister? <laughs> yeah, because we've got moments here of very much like older brother sibling abuse. Yeah. We've got Grado taking a swig of iron brew and then spraying the orange mist in Colt's face. You popped like I'd never seen before. It's because of the commentary line, which again, this is one of my top spots of the of the match. The commentary said, it's the orange mist, which is so funny to me, the idea of Iron Brew being an orange mist. I, I thought it would be lost on you. Not to say lost on you, but like, this is an, we've had a concerted period of mist in yeah. a very short period. We had Tajiri, you were enamored with the mist. Mm. Orange Cassidy also had the freshly squeezed mist when yeah. he used the orange juice. Which I thought was so funny at the time because orange juice in your eyes would be horrible. I mean, Iron Brew in your eyes would literally iron cause Brew, exactly. them to rot and fall out. Yeah, like. <laughs> they'll explode. <laughs> Cole Cabana can't see anymore because yeah. of it. Like. And then, of course, recently, Asuka, who has uh, very, very logically turned heel in WWE yeah. in late 2019, she's been busting out the mist as well. Yeah. So it's been a very misty, and it's also quite misty in Manchester recently yeah. as well. A lot of low-hanging uh, uh, moisture in the air. But this mist still popped you like nobody's business. I love the mist. What can I say? But yeah, that's not the only uh, older brother behaviour that came in this match from Grado. Because he also picked his nose and then put his finger in Colt's mouth. Yeah, did it as the five-knuckle shuffle yeah. as well. Which I feel like would be something an older brother who hates oh, John Cena so would do it to the younger sibling who's like, but no, hustle, loyalty, respect. <laughs> I also like that he pulled an old spaghetti on him. Grado spooked Colt at one point. Which, Wait, what? Yeah, he, he hid behind him and then Colt oh, was like, yeah. where is he? And he went, bah! <laughs> spooked you, gotcha, kicked you. One thing that is awkward in this and we're going to talk about it a little bit afterwards, was the very, very heavy-handed CM Punk tributes. I, I guess you probably don't know, CM Punk's finisher is the go-to-sleep. Oh, okay. Which is why Colt... I just thought it was a Samoa Joe reference. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, because he puts him in the... the sleeper hold, yeah. Oh, well, he's the main person putting people to sleep And he'll sometimes yell, go to sleep, really angrily, won't he? He will, God, you're right. Well, yeah, when Colt was doing the thing, we put his hands together in a little nap motion. Right. That's the co- that's the CM Punk thing. And he put his hands together on, on the Oh, like I don't that, like that. And he screamed, go to sleep. And the idea was that, obviously, that him and CM Punk are very closely affiliated. Yeah. 2014, CM Punk would have been the, the, one of the top wrestlers in the whole wide world. Okay. And it's, you know, him pulling that out there. Now, obviously, other stuff has happened since then. I think you're probably more aware of their falling out than them being... Oh, yeah, definitely. Linked. I mean, I don't really know anything about CM Punk other than this big trial did you know that him and punk were like close yeah i knew they were like best friends yeah like legit best of best yeah i mean i only knew that because of you talking about colt cabana all the time because you've got a big boner for him (laughs) 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 i petition that we change boner which should not be heard on this podcast to a big grooce that sounds much nicer yeah you have a big old grooce a big dirty grooce on the (laughs) But um, yeah, they were like they they trained together. They um, 
you know, they, they came up through the, the, the lower indies together. They were mm. Ring of Honor together. They were, you know, tag team. They were so closely affiliated for so many years. I realise people are going to hate me for this. Because you don't know I don't anything, know anything about, CM Punk. about CM Punk. I've literally been sheltered from it all. That's how effectively CM Punk has hit himself in the limelight since because when this podcast started, it was very close to when Punk was like, "That's it, I'm done forever." Like, yeah, yeah. I think I started watching wrestling like two months after he left. He was gone pretty. What do I think? You would have started twenty. Sometimes in twenty fifteen. Yeah, he would have been gone by the January twenty fifteen. So yeah he, yeah, he would have been gone just when you started watching. But he left on bad terms, didn't he? Super so bad terms. The way yeah. WWE do with people who leave on bad terms just means they basically write you out of history. Yeah, all Joe knows about CM Punk is that certain fans like to chant his name a lot. <laughs> I know that he sat on the ramp one time mm. and said a pipe bomb. I don't know what that means. <laughs> said a pipe said bomb. Said a pipe bomb. Pipe bomb. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, very famously he did he did a a promo that was known as the pipe bomb. I won't tell you much about that other than the fact that he turned during that pipe bomb, and this is like 2011, and he literally looked in the camera and said, Hey, Cabana, how you doing? Oh, that's nice. And literally saying his name, saying a name of someone who had been in the company very briefly, was very vocal about how bad a time he had. Um, Colt being mentioned was huge. It was very huge. And it kind of... Even felt- though at this point he had been on WWE. Yeah, because it felt like in a way that they were bridging a gap between... Indie wrestling and WWE finally. It just felt like they were it was being acknowledged, even if it was right. being acknowledged by a performer who was doing kind of a, a shoot style promo or whatever. And like I just kind of it feels very sad looking back at a lot of his stuff now. You know, Dressing Road Diaries Part One, he mentions CM Punk a lot, and he's mentioned and he appears a lot in the art of wrestling on the archives as well. And it is kind of I know in the middle of the match here, just kind of it did, it threw me mm. seeing this big CM Punk tribute, and I found myself just thinking about CM Punk stuff at the end, which is sad because they were really, really close friends. Mm. Have you ever lost a close friend? Oh yeah, absolutely. It sucks. It really does suck. It's the worst. I mean, there's losing close friends because of you fall out of touch. You know, like me, I moved to a different country, like a big Egypt. You know, I lost, I lost a lot of contact mm. with a lot of close friends. It sucks. I think when it happens because of a bad incident between you, yeah, stuff like this, this is making you nostalgic. This makes you kind of sad. It keeps you up at night. That stuff is, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, so that did kind of it. It skewed my enjoyment of this otherwise really fun match because it's not. It's only five years ago. It feels like you know a lifetime ago. CM Punk ruining another match he's not involved in ah, yet again. I mean, it's not CM Punk ruining it. It's my fucking stupid emotional attachment to these characters. I okay. think that has ruined it a little bit. And I think that's that's a really hard thing when you market yourself. I mean, in a way, you when you're marketed as being someone's friend, they're marketed as being your friend. Like your friendship is part of the brand. Yeah. And then it sours in such a public, horrible way. It is yeah. really, really sad. But hey, Grado did hit the stunner and pick up the win in this, beating his his idol. And they made like they made it seem like a really heroic, triumphant thing that Grado could beat his hero in the big in the big stage of ICW in front of all the crowd. You know that was it was really awesome. It felt like massive that moment. Uh, but did you enjoy the match? Did it make yeah. you laugh? Yeah, yeah, I liked it. It was good. I gave it three stars out of five. I thought it was good. But now, you didn't have that CM Punk mind fart like I did so yeah. what took away more points from you from this match it was quite a short match mm. I felt um, it was on the ICW channel but it was 
edit it down a little bit. There oh, was, really? It felt like there was a couple of minutes missing. Not much, but a little bit. I felt as well I didn't get enough of Colt being funny in this one. No, that's not, it's not me criticizing Colt. Mm. That's just like, it just didn't seem like he was given as many opportunities to show how funny he can be in this match as compared to other matches I've seen him in. Yeah, I, I feel like Colt was being very gracious in letting this be greater yeah. spotlight. He was almost playing the straight guy in this yeah. match. He was there to try and make Grado be a bigger star. It was mm. a very, I mean, he's a very selfless performer, I think. And, mm. and this was a nice to see him, you know, even though he's known as the comedy guy, literally kind of saying, right, this is for your benefit, for you to get the kind of the big laughs and whatnot. I did like them doing the Stone Cold tribute with the Iron Brew cans. That was at the very end. fun, yeah. <laughs> and uh, when Colt returned to ICW under the guise of the Iron Jew, uh, that was <laughs> one of the funniest goddamn things ever. I mean, Colt in Scotland, that's a big thing. Because Colt does the Edinburgh Fringe every goddamn year. Yeah, that blew my mind when I found that out. Someone tweeted that in. Did you not? Because, I mean, I no, mentioned I, you I, when I met him, it was at the Fringe when I did yeah, it. Yeah, but I thought he came to see a show, like a cool guy that he is. I thought he just came to watch some comedy acts. I didn't realise he was putting on a show. He came for, like, a few days, like... You know, back in, way, way back, he came for like a couple of days or a couple of shots. He was doing some stand-up bits, you know, when Mick Foley was doing some stand-up as well. There was a couple of like wrestlers who were brought over through like Billy Kirkwood and some of the kind of the Scottish comedians who were involved in ICW. Like there were Scottish comedians who were involved in the, the scene heavily. They were booking shows and they also were massive wrestling fans who were able to help kind of provide this bit of synergy. And then Cole started going full-time. I think the, the year I went to Edinburgh, and I only did like, I think it was two or three weeks. We didn't do the whole month. But that was Colt's first time he did the full, full run. I'm sure I've told the story of meeting him before. Not on the podcast. Not on the podcast? No. Well, here it is. If you've heard it, fast forward two minutes or so. But I was flyering for my show and the show I did with Sam Chaplin from Cinema Swirl and my mate Dan Brown and my mate Joe Lawrence. Uh, the four of us had done comedy together in the University of Lincoln and we went off to do our own show in Edinburgh called A Lighthearted Alternative to Culture. We were on at 11 a.m. on a, you know, 11 a.m. slot in a the stickiest fucking horrible nightclub you'd ever been to that they resented having to open up as early as they did. But that's that's the Fringe Festival, folks. It's, I mean, how would you describe the Fringe Festival? If you're an American or someone who's just not familiar with it, just listed in now. I, I mean, mean, I've never been, so maybe I'm not the best person to try and describe it. As far as I know, it's a month of comedy shows. Yeah, I mean, you have the main fringe, which will be like big comedy acts, like big name stand-up comedians or, or troops or whatnot. There'll be some acting and play. You know, there'll be dramas, there'll be plays, there'll be spoken word shows. Jeremy Paxman did a show there a couple of years ago. Really? Yeah, really great. But like, there's also the free fringe, and the free fringe is where for folks like like myself who just want to go up there and perform not really make money probably gonna lose a lot of money yeah. <laughs> doing so and the free fringe they'll provide you with a, a venue as long as you apply in time and you're doing it in good faith all that jazz so you know it's, it's a month long the city gets taken over for a month by a performance you know and everyone's in the streets handing out flyers if you live there my brother lived in Edinburgh and he said you know you get kind of sick of everyone handing you flyers and you're trying to go get a coffee yeah. the skill when flyering is to you know not hand them out to locals and give them to the people who are obviously there as tourists I was flyering. Uh, I saw many people when I was flyering. I saw Stuart Lee, who very much did not want to be bothered when I was flyering. And I saw Cole Cabana, and I was literally starstruck because it's like, I it was on, I think, Unforgiven 1998, which is like the sixth or seventh episode of the Attitude Era podcast had just come out. So I was like, podcast bug. And I, it had gathered a bit of momentum. So I was kind of, I was proud of my podcast at that point. So I was really excited to meet him. He was super nice. Took a flyer for the show. Told me about the show that he was doing. 
I got to go see his show he did with Brendan Burns. It also had Hannibal Barres, who was incredibly drunk and incredibly just off a flight from America, so he's very jet-lagged, and he was introduced to Doink the Clown for the first time. Mm -hmm. So that's a good time, as always. I went back and saw the show, like, another time afterwards, and... Cole was super nice because I like answered some question from Brendan Burns who didn't know who I was and then Cole straight away was like this guy's got a show by the way he's doing it with his friends there it's called Lighthearted Alternative Culture you know he, he told the folks where the show was yeah. on he plugged my show that's awesome and that an amazing skill to be able to recall not just to recognise your face and be able to recall what you said but also all the details of like where the show is and what's going on and like that that, that meant the world to me it absolutely meant the world to me because like you know it, it was it was a performer being really helpful to me who was like you know I was I don't say we didn't say we. It was very grassroots what we were doing. I think we 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 passed a bucket around. I think we made back our train tickets fair thereabouts uh, from getting to Edinburgh. But it was it made a it made a huge difference, you know, from to do that. And you know, we spent a bit of time getting have a chat afterwards. And like I just I felt that he was very much the ideal meeting of a wrestler. When I met Terry Funk, <laughs> when I met Terry Funk. He said, I gotta go get my wife's cell phone and walked away and just left the airport. Wow. And I was like, wow, I think I've made Terry Fogg lose his will to travel via airplane today. <laughs> so like, yeah, everyone who's tweeted in saying they've had lovely memories of Colts, it's with good reason because mm. he is very much knows how to interact with his fans. I think that's awesome. He made me feel very, very special in a way that no wrestler has really done before or probably since. That must be tough though to be always on like that because like meet and greets are quite hard to do like they're really fun i love meet and greets they are probably the highlight of my year getting to do them at the london podcast festival but like afterwards you are shattered like being so on all the time and like being the best version of yourself because you don't want to meet a fan and then be like you know tired and a little bit grumpy or maybe not your best self at the time like you want to be the best version of you for them so yeah. they have a positive memory and experience of meeting you so that they think of you fondly, not think of you as like, oh, I remember when I met that person who I'm a fan of and they, you know, they dismissed me or they forgot my name or Yeah, it doesn't matter like how, if you're a small fry podcast like us or a big wrestler. Everyone, yeah. Everyone's got memories of meeting someone and it was a disappointment. Yeah, exactly. You and know? you don't want that to you be don't. you. <laughs> and the fact that like he's on all the time and he's like just everyone had such positive experiences of meeting him even after he'd wrestled, even after he'd like been on 10 hour 16 hour flights yeah and there are, even if he's got to lug a crate of t-shirts yeah. onto the back of a yeah and you know this isn't cold exclusively who has to live that lifestyle but i think the, the the connection that he has with the fans big shows little shows it doesn't matter and i really think as well something that's super super important about about cult as it relates to that edinburgh comedy festival and i don't think it's talked about i saw some of the most Incredible! It almost feels like a dream. Some of the things I saw. I saw a show when I was in Edinburgh called The Wrestling, where it was a load of wrestlers and a load of comedians grouped together and put on a full wrestling show. Wow! You had like Tim Vine playing an evil wrestling heel character who did loads of shitty puns. You had Brendan Burns on commentary doing kind of Jesse Ventura. You had like all the wrestlers who could do comedy were were pulling their weight and Colt was like the guy that was holding this whole thing I together. I bet, I bet because no one does both better. <laughs> yeah, no one, no one, like, I just, in terms of actually advancing an art form and making something absolutely fucking artistically mm. beautiful and something different and strange in a big theatre and you had comedians and wrestlers yeah. joining forces that made, honestly, I think it was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my life. I would love to see something like that. And like every year, Colt is doing 
you know, what he's doing these shows where he's doing like watching bad wrestling with different comedians. He's putting on these shows with people. He's working with this amazing wrestling comedy community, the hub of which is in the north of England now, Newcastle, Glasgow and Edinburgh. And it's absolutely fucking fantastic. And I think his commitment to doing the full month there every year, you know, the voice, my voice fucking didn't hold up for the two and a half, three weeks I was there. I don't know how the fuck you do it when you're doing multiple shows a day. It's an amazing work ethic. And wrestling as well. Yeah. (laughs) it's so hard (laughs) the fact that wrestling has made its way into the Edinburgh fringe this is the type of place where there was an element of elitism you know I've read you know back in the 80s and stuff like that there won't be no fucking wrestling at the fringe folks and I think that's really important that's really cool because a lot of wrestling fans have been made from folks taking a chance to go and see something like this that is kind of more like maybe a comedy thing or something like that. And then they come in and they see a lot of wrestling and it's like, wow, this is actually really good. Yeah. You got. I mean, we know a lot of people who've been made fans by this exact type of thing. You yeah. Know? It's very, very strong, powerful stuff. Okay, we've got to talk about something kind of a bit downer now. Oh. Kind of like preempted, like... Well, look, I, didn't, I said I didn't want to spend this whole podcast talking about a fucking lawsuit. No. And certainly it's... I don't want this to be a thing that kind of defines him. No, God, no. It's certainly been a big part of his life in the last kind of few years. What is your understanding of what happened with this lawsuit, the the, the, the podcast and where it, that spurned all of this and where things kind of ended up with these guys? I guess I'll try and explain it the best I know and you correct me in the bits I get wrong. Because, I mean, yeah, you just kind of picked up dribs and drabs from yeah. from, from the internet. Like. I've, do, I have not followed this case closely. Yeah. I know nothing about CM Punk. But, like, the thing is, it's a fucking... Com- it's, it's a, I feel about this the way a lot of people probably feel about Brexit and parliamentary procedure. Yeah, like, they're sick of it, they don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, and it's very difficult to actually understand what the fuck is actually even going on at the best of times. Yeah. So I understand that this isn't, you know, easily digestible for a lot of wrestling fans. So let's have a go. I'll I'll do my best. (laughs) So back when CM Punk was wrestling, he did a match where he got a concussion midway through. And he was advised by the medical personnel there... I, I believe this is what happened, mm. that the medical personnel set, checked him for a concussion and said, you're fine to keep on wrestling. And you mean WWE? Sorry, I mean yeah. WWE. Okay. Yeah. So their medical professional was like, checked him, said, you're fine to wrestle, mm. even though you've got a concussion. Now, I don't know if they told him he had a concussion at this mm. point or not. I'm not aware of the details. Uh, what, what it actually really is, is it was several instances that he right. detailed, where it's everything from like, I have a concussion to, I have obviously got an infection, you know, I need antibiotics. Like, oh, se- God, right. He de- documented in detail several instances where he felt he had legitimate medical concerns and that they were kind of brushed to one side, like, you'll be fine, take a Z-pack or whatever it is. You yeah. know, that was kind of... The basis of his of his complaint. Behaviour, basically, which is A, not on, and mm. B, absolutely not something that would fly today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I say, I mean, this is alleged to have happened like five years ago. I know, you know? but like, even still, yeah. it would not happen now because of what happened with this mm. lawsuit. Like, it absolutely wouldn't, couldn't happen again. Okay. I at least I fucking hope so. Yeah, God, right? Hopefully some lessons have been learned yeah, in the please? process, at least. Yeah, so anyway... CM Punk then goes on to Colt Cabana's podcast, The Art of Wrestling, and Mm. talks about this experience that he had. WWE then find out about this. And this is after Punk has left WWE as well, by the way. So he's already in a bad relationship with WWE. He's left on bad terms. They've like written him out of all history. And he's been around a year or thereabouts, I think, since he's left the company. He was around about... He'd been gone for a while. He had had a long period of nothing, and this Mm. was like... Telling the big story, like, you know. So anyway, it gets back to WWE somehow that he's been on 
the art of wrestling talking about this these various medical issues that he had that weren't taken seriously and mm. were dismissed and so they decide to sue both CM Punk and Colt Cabana is so that right here's the thing and this is I think a big misconception WWE didn't sue okay the doctor, doctors, the the doctor oh, it was the in doctor question, who sued because yeah. it was his reputation that yes. was being. However, the doctor was only able to sue because he used the lawyers from WWE. WWE essentially bankrolled the case. Yeah, yeah. and they famously have the best lawyers, probably in the world. Like, yeah, I some mean, of the best lawyers Some of the ever. shit we've talked about that Vince has been in and gotten away. You, you talk about Ring Boy scandal. You talk about Doctor Zahorian. You talk about. You know, the, the the steroid trial, you talk about the own heart investigation, yeah. you know, bullet after bullet after bullet dodged. Yeah. For, for WWE, that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of <laughs> there's dirty, lot, dirty There's lots shit, of stuff. They got yeah. good ass lawyers. They got really good lawyers, yeah. So they decided to sue CM Punk, obviously, for for slander, I think it was. Yeah. was the, or was libel. it libel? libel? Yeah, for libel. And therefore also Colt Cabana because he. Because he hosted the podcast, which CM Punk did the interview on, he it, distributed. He distributed yeah. it, yeah. Even though Colt himself, I think, says two words in the podcast. He's like, "Look, Punk wants to tell the story. Here it is." And like, I, that's other than yeah, or like, can you clarify that? Yeah, it's it is literally CM Punk talking nonstop. Like, yeah, you know. So they go to trial. I believe the trial goes well for them, mm-hmm. and they. Not not well for WWE, sorry, I should clarify. Well for CM Punk and Colt Cabana, they win the court case. Although it's dragged out and it's a very upsetting, horrible ordeal they had to go through. I would say uh, Colt did Art of Wrestling episodes about his days at trial. Um, a tough listen, a yeah, very yeah. tough listen. And if you don't want to, if you, uh, you know, if you don't want to know about this, you don't want to be in that world. Don't listen to it. If you're intrigued to actually know how it can affect someone, you know, oh God, the, the phrase he used to describe life tax. Did I tell you that oh, one before? Yeah. It's it is like a, le- a level of positivity that I aspire to, but I I, I lack in the confidence of myself that I could actually be this uplifting or whatnot. But he mm. he bases it as a life tax where if your life is going well and life is good and you're enjoying yourself and you're surrounded by good people and good things are happening, that now and then you're going to have to pay the life tax. Mm. Much like when you're getting lots of money and you're enjoying yourself and you're getting a good salary, you have to pay tax on that. you got to got to give a little bit back. And he's basically saying that the trial was was life tax because he got to travel the world and have live his dream and have such a good time doing it. I, oh, God, I feel like on the verge of tears almost mm. saying that, that someone could kind of accept that something is obviously fucking wrong as this, this trial and this lawsuit is somehow cosmically okay but he you know he, he accepted it you know and he well you have to though because you can't just you're in trial you're in court you have yeah. to you have to you have to accept it you have to be part of the process you know yeah and just yeah i guess fortunately things worked out really well yeah, i they, don't they, know they, they they found no evidence you know against because they were basically trying to make out that like his career the doctor's career had been ruined by the podcast which it obviously happened yeah because he got a couple of tweets and like one or two smarks brought a fancy sign saying hey where's my z-pack or whatever yeah. and like there wasn't an, like you know people were still he was still employed as a doctor with WWE at the time you know he still had his job people were still using him as the med no one was saying I'm not going to him he's crazy yeah his, his pre- professional reputation was actually still fine so they found in Colt and Punk's favour yeah but it's not like the movies where you win a trial and that's it. No, so this is where it gets complicated. So you never think at the end of the trial is where things get complicated. But here mm. we go. So during the, the trial, 
CM Punk promises Colt Cabana, look, hey man, this is just your podcast that I was on. I didn't ever mean to drag you into this shit. This shouldn't happen to you. You know, it's one thing for them to sue me for saying what I said. It's a completely different matter for them to sue you just because you invited me on to talk mm. about this. You know, you gave me a platform to have, to be, me be able to say my truth. And also as well, I think what people, and this is, by the way, this is kind of what what the understanding was. I'm saying this is a direct quote from CM Punk. Oh, no, this no, no, is, I'm summarising yeah, massively, this is, yeah. This is what folks were led to believe. And I think the general understanding was, was that they're both been sued for millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. This is a trial that will cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees. Mm-hmm. CM Punk has just finished up a couple year run in WWE as the champion, working with The Rock, literally main eventing. You know, yeah. he, he's, he's very well set. Did his run at UFC as well. Yeah, Brief. he was getting UFC money as well yeah. at that point. That's very true. And Colt was, you know, obviously one of the most successful independent wrestlers, but he's not a millionaire. Oh no, he's yeah. living in his studio apartment, yeah. hustling t-shirts. He's, he's hustling, yeah. you know. So I think there was the understanding there that an element, or all, or at least there would be some help from the fucking millionaire. Yeah. I, I, best friend. Yeah, I was under the impression that CM Punk promised to pay for Colt's legal fees. And that's how Colt was under the impression as well. And then after the trial, those fees weren't paid. And then Colt sued Punk to try and get the legal fees because I think Colt was owed in the region of a million million dollars. I'm not surprised because those lawsuits are fucking really expensive. And he had to get a good lawyer because it was one of those cases that even, like, this is the really annoying thing they said about it is that the case was open and shut. It was like, this is so obviously in your favour. But because they had these very excellent lawyers, Mm -hmm. you had to get someone who was good because you couldn't just go in and fucking do Tim Heidecker and defend yourself against this. You needed to actually have someone good to counteract those high-powered lawyers. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Colt had to sue him to try and get his share of the money. And then, what, CM Punk countersued him? They've settled out of court, is what's the latest. But he did countersue. So yeah, no, there was a countersuing there. Yeah. So they both sued each other. And like, one of the weird things, I, I mean, hey, I'm a fucking legal nerd here who was, uh, I, I got silver at the mock trial, in the Dublin mock trials back in 2005, <laughs> baby, so I know this shit. But like, I, I was reading the court proceedings and stuff like that. I know that one of the things that CM Punk mentioned in his countersuit, and this is the thing for me that was like, okay, that's 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 unpalatable, was where he said that Colt had benefited financially from CM Punk appearing on his podcast and that's doing this episode. So... As if to imply that the millions and millions of downloads that Colt... is one of the few episodes where there wasn't loads of plugs and stuff. He's like, look, this is just the story. Here it is. And even though at the start, CM Punk is like... I could get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this exclusive story on anywhere else, but I'm doing it here on your podcast because, you know, you deserve it or whatever. You deserve to have the story. Mm. And he's making out in this counter suit that, you know, Cabana was somehow living a life of... of, of Massive luxury. Of luxury yeah. as a result of being sued. Like You know, it's it was really... Yeah, obviously... CM Punk added value to Arrow Wrestling in the early episode it was like wow CM Punk WWE Superstar WWE Champion might appear on the episode and have mm. a chat just you know there was an episode where it was Thanksgiving and it was him Cliff Compton and, and Cole Cabana just having a chat and one of them was the fucking WWE Champion it's these lads having a chat it was really nice mm. so yeah there was value there but I don't think it made Colt that episode no and I think like Causing your friend to get sued by the WWE is like maybe discounts any goodwill gestures that you're appearing on his podcast might have gleaned. So they've settled out of court. There's no financial settlement. So Colt still has the legal fees originally, but there's no other time. And I imagine there's more legal fees that have come with this. Yeah, I imagine. I didn't want to spend long talking about this, mainly because I don't think it should define Colt Cabana. However, 
I will be wrong to say at this point in time, October 2019, that this isn't a large part of that world. And it, I hate that it is. It absolutely breaks my heart that it is. Mm. When you look in Cokeban and you go into news, this is what comes up. Yeah. And I hate that because alongside those news, I was looking for these articles and there was other things like Cokeban flies to Hong Kong at like an hour's notice to do a wrestling show to fill in for someone. And that's like, you see him with the kid who really wanted to see him. It's really heartwarming. It's like, there's these really lovely stories about cults. But if we, we did this episode, we didn't talk about this. I feel it would be kind of missing a large part of the story of this man at the moment. And I think it also is as well, the fact that someone who has given so much to wrestling, wrestling, podcasting, this thing wouldn't exist without this guy. Uh, so much of wrestling. Pro wrestling tees. Pro wrestling tees. Wrestlers like realizing, hey, I can use, you know, use my Twitter to make, you know, a name for myself, get myself more bookings, get my name out yeah. there. Effective social marketing used in wrestling. Yeah. You know, it's, Comedy wrestling being taken more seriously as an art form. Yeah, like honestly, all these little shows who are able to kind of actually exist and thrive with their local talent because they'll bring in a couple of guys now because there's more of an appetite for guys to do indie wrestling full time and to appreciate it. He's also shown that you can make a good living off being an independent wrestler working the circuits, which is like yeah. something that had almost like, I don't want to say it died out, but it was very much not seen the same way that it was seen like in the 80s, maybe where wrestlers went around traveling the territories. It's made a resurgence now, thanks yeah. to him. And it's a much, it's a much different, like it's so funny, the Wrestling Road Diaries too, they were talking about like how how similar what they were doing now was to what it was back in the 70s and 80s like he mentioned yeah it was kind of different in many ways they had you know phones and stuff yeah but it's still a bunch of wrestlers getting in the car driving hours and hours and hours and making towns and you can make a living that way and cold is an absolute pioneer because you look at what independent shows were like in the 90s you know cold said you know Back in the 90s and early 2000s, you did an indie show. It's mostly families, mm. mostly kids. And now you've got like shows in clubs with a hipster crowd where they, you know, it's a grown up crowd. Everyone's having drinks and a good time. You can charge a little bit more. You're going to make a little bit more. There's a higher end of wrestling show out there now. I think that the indies have been raised up as a whole, basically. Mm. It breaks my heart that, and I, it's not just cold as well. I feel a little bit like inside the ropes as well with Kenny. Because he was another guy, you know, he did an excellent job as the one-to-one interviewer podcast format where he would talk to a, a wrestler. Very different to Colts because Colts is wrestler to wrestler. Kenny was, you know, journalist to wrestler. But I feel like, you know, with the explosion of wrestling podcasts and everyone just took that format. And mm-hmm. it meant that, you know, inside the ropes and also Colt had to try and find do different things. Because Art of Wrestling changed format to being like more of like a diary, like the Wrestling Road Diaries where you just talk to what he was doing on the week and his travels and all that. And I don't feel that necessarily enough credit is given, you know? Credit is given, but not necessarily enough. I feel like there's this whole infrastructure. Like, we had wrestling media con down the road in Manchester. I kind of feel like so much of this stuff wouldn't have been possible without this guy. You know, there's this whole other world. We're full-time podcasters. I don't see a world where that happens without Cabana. you know? Mm -hmm. And I really want to make that important. So if you see him local and he's coming to your town, go see it because it'll be a fucking great show. Yeah, buy a t-shirt or a DVD or both. And hey, we're going to end now on our match list of one of the best goddamn comedy matches I've ever seen. And this is, this is again, I had tears streaming down my face and I was so happy that we could end on a real positive note because Colts had some awesome matches, you know, in the last couple of years and this is right up there. People said any match with Toru Yano was worth watching, but by a scoot, people said Ring of Honor and New Japan's Global Wars from 2017. You got Cole Cabana taking on Toru Yanu. Joe, 
How would you describe Toru Yano? Toru Yano is a handsome man is, with a very it? silly face. Are you going to call him, say he's got Billy energy again, I thought, for a second. You said that he had Billy energy when we were watching this. <laughs> I didn't quite see the Billy energy for this one. I think it's the fact that he ripped off turnbuckle covers and went, Ha-ha! Yeah, that was quite Billy, actually. And Billy yeah. will often yeah. take something and go, yeah, that, That's a very <laughs> Billy energy type of thing there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think you just think anyone who's funny is like his Billy energy. If anyone is funny, that that's Billy energy. <laughs> I like my friend Billy, okay? He's I, funny. He is. <laughs> so the star of this match is a traditional Japanese exchange of gifts. Uh, I think that's only fair that they appreciate the culture of, of Japan because New Japan are in the building tonight. Mm-hmm. So what, what is the culture exchange that we got going on here, Joe? So here we have Colt and Toru exchanging their DVDs. Got the Wrestling Road Diaries uh, 3 there. Yeah. Fine, fine, fine piece of digitally versatile disc right there. Yeah, fantastic cover. Very yes. cool design. I'd like that as a poster, I think. Yeah, the Japanese version specifically yeah. looks really cool, yeah. So, <laughs> they trade DVDs, but this is a wrestling match, folks, and both of these individuals are tricksters, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, Toru chucks his behind him, like, so carelessly. Like, he just does not give a shit. It's like, whatever, don't care. Chucks it into the crowd. So Colt runs to try and get it back, because, of course, he can sell it later. <laughs> And then so they both end up getting their DVDs and then it's like a mad dash. Well, first of all, then then Colt chucks his into the crowd. He's like, well, fine, if you chuck yours, then I'm going to chuck mine. Yeah, fuck you. So uh, (laughs) Colt throws his into the crowd and they both go to get their DVDs back. And Toru's going to get his from some guy in the crowd who caught his DVD and he takes it from him and the crowd starts chanting, give it back. So instead, Toru sells it to him. Oh, man. You said when we were watching this, you were like, there's a game of one-upsmanship going on here, and I think Toru is leading. Yeah, I mean, I figured that Toru would get more experience points, yeah. you know, uh, more money for winning the match. If you sell, you know, it's, it's about who's going up to the pay window. The more DVDs you sell in the match, folks, the, the higher your paycheck's going to be. It's what well, it's about. Well, except for the fact that then Colt gives his away to the guy who had his, which is immediately like, oh, that's bonus points there. But Colt will get a charity buff from yeah, that, which means get, yeah. in, the, in the post-match minigame where you sell DVDs, people mm-hmm. will think well he gave that one away so I'm going to be nice and buy one aha yeah. long game Joe <laughs> Yanu really 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 wants to remove the pads he's obsessed with removing the turnbuckles Cole keeps being like no no stop that I do believe this was the first time we ever had a no means no chant in wrestling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big pop for that one. That was, again, it was Colt who said no means no. And immediately the crowd were like, no means no, no means no. He's got this gift of like, I remember I read an interview once with one of the writers of Seinfeld mm. who said that there's a real gift to being able to come up with these little silly phrases that people like quote obsessively, yeah. like like big salad. Yeah, it's like a little earworm almost. A little earworm that you just kind of say to yourself and it's, it's just inherently very funny. And and no means no is one of those little earworm things. It's just like yeah. the crowd immediately wants to start chanting it. And the other one that's been in my ear this week is Donald, where's your trousers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a duel with the turnbuckle coverings. That was amazing. Yeah, it was like a proper sword fight, but with turnbuckles. <laughs> I was so worried with this because every time we watch wrestling and someone goes to remove the turnbuckle pad, Joe was like, what, why, what, 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 why, 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 why? And then someone's like, oh, they went into the 
the turnbuckle and then and like they're dead and you're like why 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 and the fact that this match was 90% turnbuckle pads yeah. I was like oh god this isn't gonna read <laughs> no I loved it especially because the turnbuckles were like these really cool big red latex things yeah they made a great noise yeah fantastic slapping noise it was so funny they do the the rope running spot and this is like this is old school this is fucking Jackie Fargo this is 70s Memphis this is as old as it gets, but in a modern setting, it was as funny as ever. Where they do the, you know, Cole keeps going to, he's going to run the ropes, but he knows the other guy is running, so he's going to go, and then he stops, and he goes to the other one, goes, and then he stops. <laughs> and then Yanu, you mentioned earlier, when he gets caught in the ropes, he's goes, whoa, and yeah, he starts and leaning Colt's back like and forth. About to punch him, and then they're both swaying together like Popeye. Again, this thing of using the tropes of wrestling to do comedy. Yeah. Where he, you know, the, the trope of wrestling, the heel grabs the referee to hide behind them, or he's grabbed the referee and saying, "Hey ref, hey ref, hey ref," and then he does the he kicks them the opponents in the willy from behind. Like, right, that's a Ric Flair would do that like once a match. It was a thing. You grab the ref in close, and he can't see you kicking them like a donkey in the in the in the balls behind you. And Toru tries to do that, but he misses. So what he does then is that he walks around the ring with the referee, yeah. looking over his shoulders, <laughs> keep trying to kick Colt. Like I want to do my cool move. This match was like re- people playing a glitched wrestling game. Yeah. But it was so fucking funny. I must admit, I didn't get what he was trying to do with right. the ref. I yeah. didn't realise that that was what he was trying to do. But it was very funny just seeing him hiding behind the ref all the time. And then Toro, of course, gets out his... <laughs> they ended up like... Then, of course, after that, they ended up passing the referee, Todd Sinclair. Oh, I felt bad for him. Like the exact type of referee who should be thrown around all the goddamn time. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of um, being in school where the boys would line the, the hallways and then they'd play ping pong with you. Oh, yeah. Did that ever happen at your school? It did. And uh, as a prefect, I led a small task force uh, to, to stop it. Really? Yeah. Good for you. I used to stamp on their toes with my steel toe-capped boots. The, the, oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, well, if you're going to try and push me around, I'm going to stamp on your foot no because the prefects would have a once a week meeting with the principal and he'd be, he'd be like what's the goss like what's happening you know we, we kind of tell me you know, when we're doing our patrols and what yes <laughs> we're the baddies from bully basically <laughs> and it was like literally I, my heart went out to all these little like year sevens or, or first years they were like 12 years old and they're getting ping-ponged around so we were like right can we have a what we'll do is we'll get the three biggest boys there are and it was me Patrick Shaffrey and Paddy Costello three fucking large wow. gentlemen we're like right we're gonna walk the corridors and you just try ping pong us motherfuckers <laughs> so we just large men just walked around you know the benefit of a growth spurt at age 17 yeah, I guess seriously all these 6 foot 5 men <laughs> so yeah I, part of me wanted to stand in between Toro and Colt and be like come on motherfuckers push me then try you know me. leave leave Chad alone <laughs> Toru then brings out his ultimate finishing technique. The athletic tape! Ah, yes. I love the use of tape in wrestling. Uh, It was used on Batista once. Oh, really? Duct tape was used on Batista. Uh, You just try and think on why why people would use duct tape on Batista. But what was Toru trying to do with Collier in this tape? He was trying to tape his hands together. It didn't really work. I was very impressed at how Colt managed to mime that it was still together. Yeah, he pretended it was, even doing his finisher move. Was it his signature? Yeah, he he still did the elbows with the the hands all taped up. And he managed to do the Superman dive as well while taped up. Fucking beautiful. I love this. It was hysterically funny. And like a lot of these matches we've watched with Cole, the exception being the second one, but it was a nice 
nice short little 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 guy you know a lot of the Terry Funk matches we were watching we were they were long motherfucking encounters yeah like 20 minutes yeah, yeah 20 30 minutes and then these ones were all nice little bite sized perfectly didn't outstay its welcome although I would not gonna lie Joe I wanted more at the end of this one yeah me too that was like my only criticism with this match is it was a bit short yeah we want we want a little bit more but there, these guys have had many encounters including this year as well they, they wrestled in New Japan so we got to watch some more. Like, that's the top of my list of things I want to do after yeah. recording this, is watch some more of this guy. So, yeah, absolutely. What was your star rating, Joe? Gave this one four out of five stars. Hey, yeah. nice. I really enjoyed this match. It was a good time to be had by all. Yeah. Joe, we've reached the end of our odyssey here in the living room where we record our episodes. Uh, what were your thoughts and your experiences with Colts? Like, it's been a bit of a wild ride this time. It has. I don't think there's been a wrestler with just, like, you know, I have nothing bad to say. Like, normally at this point in the episode, I'm like, you know, I really like this wrestler because they're, you know, a good wrestler or they're a nice person or they do good things or they're funny. But, you know, unfortunately, we have to talk about this very sad, you know. Or, or the, the time or the context. Yeah. Really. I felt to... like with Sherry, there was a lot of, like, contextualising yeah. of where she was. Even with Bobby Heenan, mm-hmm. there's a lot of contextualisation, wasn't Bobby there? Heenan, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff he says has not aged well. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but Colt's just like, yeah, he's just a great guy, great wrestler, nice person incredibly clever businessman like that's just something that's really nice for me to think about is like you know god god knows how he's gonna get through this horrible lawsuit thing of owing all that money like he's gonna have to hustle so hard to pay off that money i can only imagine how hard he's working he's gonna have to work he's gonna have to work really hard he's gonna have to work really really hard but at least like unlike with some other wrestlers where if something like this happened i'd be like oh my god you know let's just hope that their wrestling career continues to be successful because without that I really worry for their life. Whereas, like, you know, even if he, God forbid, this should ever happen, but even if he got really badly injured mm. and couldn't wrestle anymore, he obviously would be, if he find ways to make infinite money, value. infinite Absolutely. value, you know, you know, commentary, podcaster, businessman, you know, and that's just the ones I'm aware of. Like, as yeah. he, we said before, he invented pro wrestling tees. Like, yeah, he's, he's, he's seriously, like, he's, he's, comedian, like, just this, he's so gifted and the thing i think that's most important like i think to to bear in mind there's so many wrestlers who've been through hard times and they've been through hard times over and over again and like even wrestlers who went through hard times so many times where it felt like that was their whole bloody career and i don't feel like the the difficulty that colts had recently i don't think that is his whole career no but like wrestling fans it's it's a close-knit community and i know that we we have a a lovely community here with with the how to wrestling fans and you know that sits within a larger wrestling fandom Mm. and not all not always do all parts of this wrestling fandom see eye to eye and not necessarily that we are all in agreement with each other about what we enjoy in wrestling or what we value in wrestling or what, what our values are let's just say but I think one thing that goes without saying is that wrestling fans are a loyal bunch mm. and they reward their people who have earned that loyalty, I think. Mm. And I think Cole Cabana, if you look in the fact now that he's active in Ring of Honor, he's done some little bits of AEW, NWA Power, he's a mainstay on that now, you know, Japan, all the indies around the world, you know, everywhere. He's, he's like, <laughs> I want to say he's like the John Belushi of, of pro wrestling. He is wrestling's guest. There's always a seat at the table for Cole Cabana. Any show, he's an addition to. And I think that's like, that's the one encouraging thing is I think that he does have this loving fan base, which I always knew was there and I was even still blown away by the the the, hat, the tweets and the Facebook posts that yeah. we've got. And let's get into some of those right now. 
First up from Ms. Amanda Jane. This man is responsible for my love and passion for independent wrestling. He helped me discover the alternative to what was out there. I've become a fan of so many via the podcast, Marty Skrull, Champa, etc. Too many great matches. His rivalry with Pierce was epic. Seeing the joy on his face while wrestling the NJ Cup this year touched me. Mm. Him coming out to wrestle at MSG and the fans chanting his name. I was in tears. I can go on. Thanks, Colt Cabana, for all you've done. Oh, man. And you know what? I'll tell you something that you can look forward to now. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get on that Colt Cabana Patreon, get the back catalogue of the art of wrestling. You literally find a wrestler who you know and like or find a wrestler who you want to learn more about and just listen. He provides a platform and a comfortable environment. The only person I think who's been in the art of wrestling who really struggled to come across well was Jim Ross. He was, like, oh, very really? sleepy and cranky and didn't want to be there. Oh. <laughs> Uh, we got one here from Lee Witt over on Facebook.com slash HowToWrestling. Officer Cole Cabana at the Gathering of the Juggalos seems like an obvious recommendation. It absolutely is. Uh, Joe's learned a lot about the world of Juggalos. In, in... Can we go an episode without talking about the Insane Clown Posse now? No, we can't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Officer... We just happened to do two Juggalo fans one episode after the other. Yeah, so Cole Cabana, who manages to reconcile his no-drinking, no-drugs nature with with the very, very geeked up crowd of Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Geeked up. That's just a nice way of saying it, Joe, okay? Uh, They're not geeks, I'm saying they're geeked up. Mm. Uh, They're jazzed, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they Uh, sure are. Officer Cole Cabana coming out, threatening to uh, arrest all the Juggalos and (laughs) take away all the weed. It just, like, literally, he's basically like, he is to Juggalo Championship Wrestling what the Hamburglar is to McDonald's. He's, he's the baddie who's coming here to take the good times away and it's fucking brilliant. Now from Crinch Rap, the reason that pro wrestling tees even exists showed a generation of wrestlers that being in the WWE doesn't have to be the end goal. One of the first podcasts I ever got into was The Art of Wrestling and if somebody doesn't snap him up as a chat show host, they're missing out. Oh, God, man. can you imagine like a cool chat show style like TV yes. series yes. starring yes. Colt interviewing all these wrestlers. Oh. You could do it a bit like the old... Um, Oh, was Prime it Primetime wrestling. wrestling? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Who'd you team Cole up with? Oh, God. Um, Cole Cabana and Renee Young seems like it would be a, yeah. a match made in heaven. Like. Add Byron Saxton on to it at the end. <laughs> I love that boy. <laughs> Uh, another great recommendation here from Tom Williams over on Facebook. Matt Classic, I believe Cole Cabana is his advocate. I showed Joe uh, Matt Classic and his classic hook-and-shoot style, his devastating judo chop and body slam. What a what a specimen Matt Classic is, huh? I was so impressed that he managed to, like, just by changing his outfit and standing in a different way and wearing a mask, completely transformed himself. Like, you would never guess that was Colt Cabana. Yeah, because I don't think it actually is Colt Cabana. I think it might be an El Generico <laughs> Sami Zayn. Just uh, oh, a lot of similarities, but and absolutely by no means are they right. the same person, I don't think, Joe. I've got it. Now from Jeshka Zak. I got into watching wrestling by watching the best of Colt Cabana compilations on YouTube by total randomness. Colt is not just a comedy wrestler, he's a versatile performer. Colt Cabana is a serious wrestler, I believe, is a little compilation. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, there's, there's some great stuff there. There's a brilliant one. A lot of people wanted us to talk about some mixed martial Archie, uh, Archibald Peck, who was a, a wrestler who was in Chikara for a stint. He was riding with WWE very recently until, uh, until he accidentally let DX mention Vince McMahon in a Hall of Fame speech, and he got fired. What? Great comedy wrestler, though. 
and uh, there was this, he wore like an outfit that had a sash on it. You know, we we saw it with Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk where they would do like the they put him in the STF the submission. You're holding their face over, and then they put like barbed wire there and go. So Cole did a similar move, but instead what he did was he grabbed this kind of sash that he was wearing and he pulled it over his face. Oh yeah. And then Cole just stood up and left him there, and he was there in this STF position with the sash around his face going like ah like he's about to tap out <laughs> like all this pressure has been applied by his own clothes I think it's really cool that this person said that they got into wrestling by watching cult matches yeah, that's awesome in Wrestling Road Diaries I think it was the second one we watched he talks about how much he the reason he wrestles this comedy style is because he wants to get n- new fans into wrestling yeah. he says his target audience is the friend that gets dragged <laughs> along to wrestling shows <laughs> and they see a silly match and they're like this seems like fun. I want to watch more. Because the friend never expects that type of wrestling. Yeah. The friend wouldn't have expected any of the four matches that we watched tonight. No, the friend know? expects, you know, boring wrestlers in tiny little pants. The friend expects the time that you and I brought a friend to What Culture oh, Championship. Oh, no! <laughs> so bad. Matt, right, I apologize. Now the promotion is over, we can officially apologize. Uh, Matt, we took you to a bad show. So I'm sorry, sorry, buddy. At least he thought it was WWE. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what a level of the friend he was in this case, yeah. yeah. He, he went back thinking, that this is going to be in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> With all the audio problems? And sure. All? Okay. Got one here from Tiffany Bush. This is a recommendation that I've not seen, but it sounds like the greatest thing ever, and I think he might like it too. It's more recent, but a lot of the stuff he's done with MJF... You know, you like MJF, right? I love MJF, yeah. Maxwell Jacob Freeman in AEW, very, very brilliant performer. Uh, The stuff he's done with MJF being his son, particularly the match they had in AAW in 2018... So I've heard this. A couple of people tweeted in about this. Apparently, Colt plays his his dad, which is so great because they actually look quite similar. Like I could totally buy that Colt was MJF's dad. I'm I'm like I'm not shitting around with you, but my arms are actually sore. <laughs> done too much ring fit. Damn adventure. you! Ring fit and Colt Cabana should have happened. We should have done Vince McMahon uh, this time. We should have been all somber and sad. <laughs> this is bad. Yeah, my abs hurt too. <laughs> now from CMG, the Genius Appreciation Society. Am I a bad fan if the only impressions I have of Colt Cabana are via his podcast and I've never actually watched any of his matches? <gasps> That's happened. We've had a few of these tweets. We have had a few of these. It's really interesting that Colt's managed to penetrate into like mainstream wrestling fandom through the podcast that he's done. Ears are surprisingly a lot easier to penetrate yeah, than you'd think. than his matches, which I've got to say, you know, if you've not, if you've checked out his podcast and you enjoyed it but you've not seen his matches go find his matches they are so good they're so funny it's not just like oh he's a very funny guy that happens to be a wrestler as well he's a great wrestler Mm. like truly I've seen some of the moves he's done was like had me on the edge of my seat like I can't believe how he did that I've never seen anything like it before like genuinely innovative stuff and you've got innovation and then you've also got bringing back I think it's so important I don't know if we've talked about it enough really bringing back an old style for a new generation you think of how many performers are using that old european style the world of sports style you know i've heard about johnny kidd johnny saint you know mick mcmanus these are all like characters from world of sport who you know i feel i can all i can always relate to an older person in the uk because when they meet me i always always bring up the rest of the thing and they're like oh world of sport i go yeah mick mcmanus but you hated the irish huh you know (laughs) but like you know les kell and stuff that we were talking about that it's it's What's old is new, and I think 
innovating is, is is all well and good, but I think being able to take something that is so dusty and old and so viewed, I mean, you know, so viewed as being an old, an old generation, so far away, no way it could thrive. And like hearing hearing Chris Hero, Cassius Ono, talk to Colt about them like discovering world of sport together and the art of wrestling is one of the most intriguing things ever. It's like they found a treasure trove type of a thing. It's so great. And I love that the respect that he's given back to that, other generation from a whole other world you yeah. know world of sport and that's so cool now from j-man whoa cult offered to come visit me in the hospital in houston when ring of honor was here what? he recorded a video with the briscoes wishing me well it goes beyond wrestling the man has a good soul man that is some good soul shit right there that's like next level good deeds yeah wow kyle grant wooden here he was the first independent wrestler that really caught my eye, mostly because he was such a hustler, making his own gear, his own merchandise, etc. Colt's a deft hand with the uh, with the old sewing machine, which I think is fucking awesome. That's such a cool skill to have. So, such a ne- oh, graphic design as well. Oh yeah, of course. Audio editing, video editing. Yeah. Like, he, he talked in the art of wrestling where it's like, I've learned graphic design and now I can design posters for shows. And it's like, oh, you yeah. know, because you've gone to all these shows with janky designs, you know. Honestly, I think that needs to be talked about more is just how many wrestlers genuinely need to learn these skills. But okay, video editing and and audio editing, they're maybe not as necessary unless you're going down that aisle. Financial management. Absolutely, business, graphic design Mm -hmm. and marketing. Every wrestler should have at least a basic grasp of those three principles. Absolutely. His podcast was also what got me into listening to podcasts. Also, before a match against Tommaso Ciampa, he cut a promo saying... What kind of spine are you? What kind of spine do you have? You have no birthday. You're spineless and you're birthdayless. <laughs> I think about that promo at least once a week. Gold. <laughs> Tommaso Ciampa definitely is the man without a birthday. Like, yeah, you know, God. It's, it's going to make a real deep Northern Lights reference there. Like, you know, when you come in, you see Tommaso Ciampa and it was like, something wrong with him. We don't know why. Like, his birthday was taken away. Like, <laughs> He's got no birthday. It's disgusting. Yeah. And everyone else's birthday just feels really uneasy. Like, yeah. can't be around it. That's too deep. That's so deep. <laughs> Finally, from Oh Look It's Manlin, without the art of wrestling, I wouldn't have ever thought to give professional wrestling a try. His Seven Levels of Hate with Adam Pearce was yes. phenomenal as well. Seven Levels of Hate, Adam Pearce. That was basically like a couple of years back, NWA, which we've, we've been watching NWA Power and having a good time with that, I think. Billy Corgan's new show. Hell yeah, it's awesome. It's very great. Definitely worth a check if you want to see some cult and you want to see a great 45, 50 minute wrestling show that's got a great mix of comedy, serious promos, etc. But yeah, him and Adam Pierce, Adam Pierce, longtime indie wrestler, works for WWE now as a uh, as an agent. You might see him as a long, tall, bald man with a goatee doing pull apart brawls in, in SmackDown. But uh, they were like, wait, the NWA Championship has pretty much zero stock in terms of the the wrestling fans at the moment. It's not viewed as it's been viewed as a punchline as opposed to a headline. So let's, the two of us, travel the world. We're going to have seven matches called Seven Levels of Hate. And it's going to be super serious, not a comedy thing. It's going to be treated seriously. They did a documentary about it, them traveling, and then basically the two of them trying to fill an arena, try to fill these shows up with, with this prop that many people viewed it as being, you know, the NWA title was like almost like an albatross. It would take away from from your loss. And it's, it's really great. They, they completely on their own two feet, these two guys made this title relevant, made a DVD, made a series of great matches out of it. Seven Levels of Hate, really high recommendation to check it out, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Now, our next episode, Joe, I think is following something of a theme. You like business, then, don't you? 
I don't know if I like businessmen. Well, you were saying you appreciated the, the hustle of Coke about it, the businessman, right? Saying I like businessmen makes me seem like I'm kind of into these sleazy types of like, I admire business sense. I'm not into businessmen. Sorry, did you say sleazy? <laughs> business sense? Our next episode is about recently without a job, Eric Bischoff. I love it. When we were choosing, like, well, what episode should we do next? This is months in advance. Yeah, way, months yeah. in advance. I was like, oh, Eric Bischoff, you know, we should do him because he's relevant now. He's part of the storyline. He's you know. been brought back into the fold. He's brought back, so we'll have something we can talk about at least. And then last soon, fucking week. Literally last week, like a week before we were going to announce the, what we were doing. Finishing touches on the artwork, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> Adding the shine to the motorcycle and he gets fired. Uh, so Eric Bischoff is probably going to be like, this is when we started you plan the episodes like alright we like to do kind of a current guy then maybe a classic person you know yeah. mix and match and now he's went from being a current to a classic straight away. Yeah. So yeah Bischoff obviously not just his very recent very short tenure in WWE but this man in many respects I think Joe is going to be someone who you admire I think that you will actually appreciate some of his business tactics. Business tactics which wrestling fans like me have been bred and been kind of trained almost to look at that and say, no, everything he did was terrible. He's like a Vince Russo level, absolute no value whatsoever. That's what I've heard him compared to is Vince Russo. Oh, man. And I mean, I get that. Hmm. But I think Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo would both be like, no, absolutely not. We're going to chart a course at an odyssey of a man who started off as a very good-looking announcer, who failed to interview a broom, who then went on to sell foam ninja stars and meat out of the back of a truck in Minneapolis, all the way to becoming the executive vice president of fucking WCW, beat WWE for the longest period in ratings ever, and almost got rid of WWE and put him out of business, and undeniably changed the wrestling landscape forever. He had another go at it again in 2011, but uh, we don't talk about that one as much. We'll be talking about it all. Controversy creates cash. Will it make a good episode? We are after your thoughts, maybe some match recommendations, opinions, stories, and your assessments of the man who is known the world around as Easy e and ATM Eric. Mr. Bischoff will be reporting in for a scrutiny from How To Wrestling. Use the hashtag HowToBischoff, that's B-I-S-C-H-O-F-F. Don't accidentally do How To Biscoff. That's our special biscuit review that'll be coming on Patreon later next month. Oh God, we have to do that now, do we? What a shame. <laughs> what a shame. I, I mean, are you, do you know much about Eric already? Uh, no, not really. He looks different every time I've seen a picture of him. So I think he might be a shape-shifting vampire. <laughs> Great entrance music, though. Really great entrance music. Head over to HowToWrestling.com to check out the artwork for the upcoming episode. It is absolutely a thing of beauty. And as well, don't forget the hashtag HowToBischoff on Twitter, HowToWrestling, and on Facebook.com forward slash HowToWrestling. And hey, when you're over there on Facebook, why not leave us an old rating or review? And as always, if you want to get access to a whole boatload of extra audio content, patreon.com forward slash HowToWrestling. You've got all of the pay-per-view reviews going back to 2015. That now includes AEW, NXT, WWE. If they're doing a show on it, we're doing a full episode about it. There's a backlog of over 60 episodes as well as the new How To Revisit series we mentioned earlier. And hey, if you want to request an episode, request a voice 
voicemail or impression or even sponsor the podcast. Information for all that is available from patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling or as always, your home for all things howto, howtowrestling.com. Until next time, where we're going to be talking about Easy E, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll catch you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya!